What is going on? Welcome back to the Third and Twenty Dynasty Podcast. Hey. Surprise, Frank Entosolo appearance. That's <laughs> me. We got Lunas Amarant. We got JT Alaka and Jake Hankin. What's going How on, doing? everybody? We're happy you came on this episode. Yeah, a little surprise. The, Why not? Yeah, we got the little uh, special guest entrance here. The crossover episode everyone was asking for. Part two. <laughs> <laughs> Third and 20 power hour. All right, oh. we're getting some dynasty highlights from week eight. What are we doing here? Yeah, let's roll. So I'll kick it off immediately with uh, my high- first highlight of the week. And it's just Dalvin Cook. He's just been on a fucking roll, man. He is just another unbelievable week. He had 22 rush attempts for 206 yards and two more touchdowns. So my question to you guys, is he the running back one? No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. No, wow. the running back Shot one is clearly him. David Montgomery. But, yeah. um, <laughs> but, okay, no. So this season, he's obviously been the best running back. Um, he, he's been insane, and he's in the top five category. I think you can debate, you know, like, would you rather have Cook or uh, Kamara? Would you rather have Cook or Ezekiel Elliott? Um, I mean, Zeke right now trending the wrong direction. But yeah, the, the, the whole offense is a mess. I just think – um, with Cook, he's he's obviously I think he's in the top five. He's a stud. I just think this year we saw the top two running backs both be injured for the majority of the season. Um, for me, for me, when he's healthy, it's still McCaffrey. And between Saquon and Cook, it's close. I think Saquon, but I wouldn't blame anyone for taking Cook. Um, right. But I think after those two, you can make a case for number three. Do you guys want to hear why I'm anti Dalvin Cook? Well, not anti Dalvin yes. Cook. I just don't think he's RB one. How could you possibly be? How could you possibly be anti? Yeah, Cook? I'm not anti Dalvin Cook, but I don't think he's RB one. Because <laughs> we're going off his past two games, which have been against the Green Bay and Detroit defenses, which have been terrible against the run to begin with. Now, I mean, his lowest point point total of the season was 17 points against Indy, who's a very good defense. That's fair, but Alvin Kamara has been consistently putting up the same amount of points, too. He even had really good games against Green Bay as well and Las Vegas, similar to Dalvin Cook. I just think for the rest of the year and for so far, I I want Alvin Kamara as my number one, especially when we start thinking about playoffs. Because if you have Dalvin Cook, you're probably, at, at the very worst, you're probably a fringe playoff team, unless your team's just... Terrible, in which case, sell Dalvin Cook. Like, you shouldn't have him on your team. You should be rebuilding. Um, But I digress. Alvin Kamara gets a playoff schedule of Philadelphia, which is kind of tough, but then Kansas City and Minnesota. While Dalvin Cook has a playoff schedule of Tampa Bay, Chicago, and New Orleans, which are three of the toughest run defenses in the league. So when it comes time for the – yeah, when it comes time for the real chips to be put down, give me Kamara. A fair point. How do you feel, Frank? Um, this is an interesting debate. I think you were right in saying that Christian McCaffrey is still the RB one. I mean, it just stinks that the whole injury scenario happened with McCaffrey. You saw the one week he was back, what he was pretty much doing all of last season. I would also like to point out that the Lions did gift 
Dalvin Cook a touchdown for the most part, putting 10 guys on the field for his <laughs> touchdown run. Um, good old Matt Patricia defense right there. Hasn't um, that happened like multiple times in the past two weeks? Yes, I Lions? think it's happened three times in the past two weeks. <laughs> Matt, Pat- Matt Patricia, coach of the year. Book <laughs> he's it. <a> coach. <laughs> you guys forget he's a rocket scientist. Coach of the year. <laughs> a rocket scientist that can't count to 11, it seems like. Um, I think the other thing that people are forgetting a little bit, which isn't necessarily a huge knock on Dalvin Cook, I just think it's one of those scenarios where you see a player go from a good situation to a perfect situation was when Gary Kubiak was officially the offensive coordinator. Um, He's a run first kind of guy. You've definitely seen that in the numbers with the Vikings this season. There will be games where Kirk Cousins barely gets to 15 passing attempts, not even completions because that offense goes through Dalvin Cook. So um, it's going to be interesting to see just because I think historically speaking, especially in the modern era, we haven't been able to see running backs keep up, you know, this, this 20 plus carries in an offense season after season after season. So I think that that's the one thing you worry about with Dalvin Cook where injuries coming up to this point were already a little bit of a concern and now compared to last year that his workload has just gone up in the games that they're playing in he just he's always one of those guys that seems like he's never healthy towards the end of the season so not that that's necessarily a huge knock because I mean he plays running back they all get injured it's just something that I would be concerned about and especially like taking into consideration if I'm paying the RB1 price to acquire him. That's fair. Um, Jake, what were you going to say? I mean, it's hard to imagine that he's actually gotten more carries than he did last year because he had a whole lot last year. But in the past two weeks, he's combined for 52 carries. That's not even including his receptions, which would bring his total to 57 touches in the past two weeks. That's absurd. Is, that is absurd. Yeah. yeah. Which and it's is not just, even just the, the touches. It's the production as well on the touches. His, his production is ridiculous. Like, he seems like he's the Derrick Henry of this year, that you just feed him and you don't stop until the whistle blows. I mean, watching the Vikings, I mean, I think it's the only way they have a chance to win. I, I, the way Kirk Cousins has played this year, whenever he throws the ball more than 30 times, it seems like they're just – getting killed in a game so you want I, if I'm them I'm just going to keep riding Dalvin Cook until he completely breaks now is that what I want as a fantasy owner no but at the same time it will lead to a lot of these big games because he's going to have so many touches moving forward but real quick realistically you you have to put him at least two or three right now I feel like there's no way that you can say that he is not a top three dynasty back right now because I think Jake was right he's firmly jumped over Ezekiel Elliott. And I also think just because of the current situation that you have to value him higher than Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley's had season ending injuries every year he's played. So that's the, that's the tough part. I mean, it's not like Dalvin Cook has had his career without injuries either. Yeah. But just the fact that you're getting this level of production right now, it's hard to put him outside of the top three is, is basically what I'm getting at. Just because at the end of the day, Zeke, Saquon, 
these are they're just trending down and and Dalvin Cook Cook's arrow is firmly up. That's a fair I, point. I think I have Cook at 4. Cuz I'm going to do McCaffrey oh. 1, Kamara 2, Saquon 3, Cook 4. I think it's fair to put Saquon above him just because everyone can can admit that Saquon has better talent than Dalvin Cook does. Like just yeah. coming out of the draft, Saquon is one of those prospects that was just absolutely ridiculous. So I, I can I can agree with you there. And I guess if you're really a Zeke Homer, maybe there's just no way you can rightfully put Zeke above Dalvin right now. Um, there, there's just no way. Even if you're a huge Zeke Homer, there, there's just no way. Mm-hmm. I think I'd put him over Saquon yeah. right now, though. As a Giants fan, even, like, you, you can't put Saquon over him right now. The guy hasn't played in a year. He's coming off a major knee injury. Like, yes, I expect him to return to full full health. Yes, I expect him to at least become a top five running back again. But at this moment, Dalvin Cook is just playing too well to place behind him, in so, my opinion. So, last, last comment on the subject, unless anyone else wants to say anything. I admit Dalvin Cook's better this season, Jake. So Jake is an owner of both Dalvin Cook and Saquon Barkley. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm jerking off your roster for you. Um, So what is it? So if if someone came to you for a trade, (laughs) I see you, Frank. So if someone came to you with a trade offer, um, who would it be harder to get from your team this offseason, Saquon or Dalvin Cook? Like who are you asking – like, who has the lower price? I mean, the price for both of them is fucking... I know they're both the extremely hard to get. But say but, someone came with, like, an insane offer. Who are you trading first? So, Dalvin Cook is 25, and Saquon is only 23. 23. So I would say the price for Saquon is higher. However, you just gave us the point. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we we had this argument before we started the pod about Julio Jones and our wide receiver rankings. Like, yes, he is an old wide receiver, and but still, he's ranked higher than a lot of young wide receivers. That doesn't mean that necessarily his trade value is the same. You see Are what you I'm saying? saying? In the off season, his trade value, or right now? Off season. Okay. The offseason, Saquon Barkley, you have to treat him like he's healthy at that point because he's expected to be ready. Yeah. But the yeah, thing so, like, is at that, that point, you definitely have to value Saquon higher as he's a running back that's two years younger and has two years, oh, pretty much three years less tread on the tires because he didn't play this year. Yeah, like that, that question, it is slightly unfair to Dalvin Cook because it's taking out the value that he gives you this season because he's yeah, still exactly. going to give whoever team owns him a shit ton of value for this season. So yeah, that, that's basically what I was going to say is that Dalvin Cook, the reason why he's valued higher right now than Saquon, in my opinion, is just because you have him, you're probably a championship favorite or at least in the playoffs. And, and I mean, if he has one of those 40-point weeks that he keeps on having, then he, can, he might be one of those guys that carries you to a championship. So, I mean, that's what fantasy football is about is the championships. So. We said it last week. Championships are forever, boys. Championships are forever. Jake, I am dying at what you wrote in that doc. 
<laughs> no, that was that was me who put the parentheses in there. <laughs> I don't know if Jake knows what we're talking about either, because I did that after I, had I posted to mute it. My mic because I was <laughs> laughing too hard. Yeah, that was that was me that put that parentheses part. Speaking <laughs> uh, on that full point, uh, go ahead, point. Jake. Yeah, what's your what's your second Jake, point? Jake's second highlight. <laughs> Uh, my highlight, my second highlight is circling the motherfucking wagons, boys. Those Bills just fucking keep winning. They beat the Seahawks this week, 30, uh, 44-34. Josh Allen, 415 yards, four total touchdowns. Uh, Stephon Diggs, 12 targets, uh, 118 yards on nine receptions. I fucking love the Bills. I think they're so fun to watch. They just score and play. It's just fun to watch. Josh Allen always makes a stupid fucking play throughout the game, whether it's like lateraling it when he's just like going down or doing something stupid. Diggs is just a great route runner. I love watching him. He always gets open. I don't know. Just go Bills. I think what's more important from this game is just how bad Seattle's offense uh, defense is. Seattle just has a really bad defense. I don't know if I'd give the credit to the Bills. I'm just going to say Seattle's (laughs) atrocious. And I would feel so happy if my players played Seattle every single week because, like, I'd just be winning the league. Who would you be more excited to play against if you owned, like, the wide receiver one on an offense? If that offense was playing against the Dallas defense or the Seattle defense? Oh, Seattle defense. All day. Depends on the scheme. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I I I was going to say, just kind of going off JT on this game – yeah, they they played they played a terrible pass secondary, but I mean I, I've got to give credit to the Bills. Like I mean it's not really fantasy really, but they're seven and two. Josh Allen has looked amazing this year. Um, Nineteen passing touchdowns, only five picks, and he has some rushing touchdowns. Uh, we talked about the backfield before how we feel between Zach Moss and Singletary. A lot of us said we prefer single. I mean we prefer Zach Moss, but they're both valuable to have. Um, and with Diggs, yeah, like. I, I didn't think he would be this productive this year, like just in total. Like he's just been getting a ton of looks. Um, so, no, I can't blame him. Like this year he's been a top 10 receiver. And overall you have to put him in the wide receiver one combo for a dynasty like you have to um, as long as he's paired with Josh Allen. I'm going to be excited to see with the Bills' future how uh, uh, Gabriel Davis – is it Gabriel or Gabriel? Gabriel, Yeah. Uh, Gabriel Davis turns out a receiver because he's had some flashes and he had a good game last weekend. So I'm excited to see him. Did you say, is it Gabriel? I don't know. Like, I, I didn't think Tanyan was Tanyan. Is, is it Dalvin or Devlin? <laughs> <laughs> we talking about the players? Oh man, but no, you you guys you guys get the point. But yeah, this is this is a high powered offense. Jake, you want to hype up Diggs at all? Yeah, I mean Diggs is wide receiver one. Don't don't at me. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Wide receiver one. No, wide, right. like not not what not one overall. A wide receiver one. Oh, a wide receiver one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I agree. I what do you got say. for us, Lunas? Uh, so JT, I know this is your guy. Uh, is it time to get concerned with Jonathan Taylor? No. (laughs) (laughs) Personally, personally, I am not, 
But someone could have said no the first couple weeks with Trev Richardson in his second season. Uh, someone could have said no with David Montgomery. The past three weeks, he has seven carries for 12 yards last week. Uh, six carries for 27 yards and a rushing touchdown, but also a fumble two weeks ago. And 11 carries for 22 yards. Uh, sorry, the last one was last week, and then two weeks ago was the 11 carries for 22 yards. And he hasn't broken double-digit points in half PPR since week six. Now, while all those criticism is fair and his vision, you some people say it's been questionable – I don't think it's time to panic on him, but I understand that because a lot of people have been talking about it in the dynasty community. The, the Reddit page is freaking like flipping out. They don't know what to do. They're like running. It's it's like, you remember that scene from like SpongeBob where it's like inside his brain and it's like the burning office. Everyone's like running around and it's yeah. like crazy and hectic. <laughs> yeah. like, like that, that's all the Jonathan Taylor owners on the dynasty Reddit right now. Like everyone's freaking out. Um, I think if the owner is kind of getting pessimistic, it could be a potential buy low right now. Because like, I don't think the plan was for him to become the workhorse right away. They still had Mac healthy this year. And I think they wanted to ease him in because it's a different it's a different blocking scheme than what he saw in Wisconsin. So you got to give him some time. We saw that with Daryl Henderson last year. We saw that with Miles Sanders in the beginning of his rookie year with some kind of getting uh, his vision adjusted. Um, so I don't think it's full-time panic. And I actually think he could be a good buy low but I understand some of the concerns. Yeah. So as the resident Jonathan Taylor owner for our league, um, you're I'm, bad. You feel bad. <laughs> I'm less panicked now than I was like two weeks ago. Cause two weeks ago and even before then where I was seeing was like what people said, a lack of vision, like Trent Richardson, just running into the back of his lineman kind of thing. But these past few weeks, I've seen him bounce outside. He's made, like, athletic-looking plays. He's looked like a real running back. The issue is you can't run when Jadavian Clowney's already three yards into your backfield and on you already. Like, there's nothing you can do when Phillip Rivers is giving you the ball and he's there. I mean, sure, like, Dalvin Cook made that, like, great sidestep and ran for, like, 80 yards. But, like, it's – yeah, maybe I am panicking. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, JT, let me back you up here because I did make that joke. Basically, we have this doc that we're having notes on, and we put JT is panicking in the biggest letters possible. Um, <laughs> so, yes, Jonathan Taylor's not looked as good as he should be. I will be the first one to say it because I was really big on Jonathan Taylor coming into this year. But there are a couple things that I don't think are going his way. And the first is the Colts' run scheme. After watching the game last night, I can officially say, sucks. That's so um, bad. <laughs> and for some reason, I don't know why, this seems to be like a more common trend in the NFL than you would expect for some teams. Because, like, when you look at a team like the Raiders, right, a team that has those big, bulky, really good run-blocking offensive linemen, they find creative ways to use them. You know, different types of runs, whether it's counter, trap, you know, pulling tackles here and there, you know, different types of power runs. Instead of just saying, okay, we have a good offensive line, let's just run inside zone with small variations. John Gruden, the Raiders, they, they do a good job of mixing it up. And I have not seen that out of the Colts. And, and where that's really hurting Taylor 
is that he's not able to get in space. Like JT was alluding to, you saw yesterday where he's getting hit in the backfield a lot. And, you know, Jonathan Taylor's game, and you saw it last night, which is what I really like to see out of him, was when he's in space, he gets extra yards. That's where he makes his money. You know, you saw he had that one, I think it was a pitch or a screen pass, where he just completely decked a D-back trying to tackle him. Like, that's why you picked up Jonathan Taylor. You didn't pick up Jonathan Taylor just to smash him on inside zone over and over and over and over again. You need to get him in space with different types of runs, better run scheme. And, you know, some of the argument can be made that they're trying to set up other plays like these end arounds and, and plays for Naheem Hines, who's been a lot more successful that, okay, they're pounding inside zone just to set up other plays. But I, at the end of the day, there's no excuse for the Colts to have to go for it on fourth and one 50 times to win that football game when I honestly think that their run scheme should do a better job of putting Taylor in space, especially well, on yeah, the outside. That was what I agree with is they, whenever Taylor came in the game, they just it seemed like the only run play that they would run was the inside zone. And then as soon as he came out of the game and they put in Hines, they decided to get a little creative and run it on the outside. How about you try some of that with Jonathan Taylor and get him in space, like you're saying? Um, yeah, actually, um, my bad. This, this will be quick. Actually, the ironic part about Taylor not doing as well is that one of the things I was concerned about him coming out of college is one of the things he's been actually doing well in the NFL, which is catching the ball. Like him being like thrown little passes in the flats or just like shorter routes. He's been pretty good with, and that was actually one of my biggest concerns with him uh, coming into the um, draft in the NFL. So I just thought that part was kind of ironic, which is kind of why I still have faith in him. I think he's going to be fine. And I think the people that are panicking, like you mentioned in the dynasty, right? I'm like convinced they just don't watch the games and only talk about the box score. Cause if you oh, look at sure. this game, if you look at this game, you see seven attempts, 12 yards, like 1.7 yards per carry. Right. But then you actually watch the game and you see like four to five of his carries were either fourth and one or at the goal line. Like you're not going to get a lot of yards on that anyway. So it's just, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense for me um, to panic on a rookie only uh, halfway through the season when he's actually shown like flashes of being good. It, it just seems more like the situation and the scheme currently isn't helping him. You know, one thing, one last thing I do want to add as well is that one of the problems in general that the Colts offense has had, which is really hurt Taylor um, just like situation and scheme wise is Philip Rivers inability to stretch a defense with a deep ball. Um, you can blame that on Rivers. You can blame that on the plethora of receiver injuries that the Colts have had to deal with. But that has been a huge factor in why I, at least I believe that Taylor's production, you, you're seeing these 1.7 yards per carry kind of games is that, Teams don't have to ever play two high safeties against the Colts. You can always play single high or even just line up with no safety help on the back end because T.Y. Hilton has been practically non-existent. And then Pittman and Campbell have been injured for most of the year. So Zach Paschal is not a deep threat receiver. So I just think that the Colts' inability to stretch the ball down the field with their passing game has really hurt their offense in general, especially the running game. 
Yeah, I completely agree. I think teams are stacking the box more. Um, what do you think uh, the guys are? What do you think the Colts are going to do uh, with quarterback next year? Because I can't see Philip Rivers being there neither. next year. I could see them going for Sam Darnold. You think so? I I could see. I feel like Frank Wright could work well with that because obviously they're different quarterbacks. But I feel like just physically, I'm just talking about physically. He's kind of similar to like a Wentz build. Um, and uh, he's shown a lot of flashes. I still think Sam Darnold's talented. And they said Schefter reported it's not going to take a first rounder to get Darnold. Like it'll probably just what take like a second and a fourth or something. I don't know. Um. So I could see them doing that. They still have Brissett under contract, and I don't think he was terrible last year. Like he wasn't good or anything special, but I, I think like it's debatable whether Philip Rivers this year is better than Brissett was last year. It's just stupid to me that they have a guy in Brissett who they bring in for one QB sneaks and two Hail Marys. Everyone knows what's coming when he comes in the game. <laughs> yeah. it just it just seems ridiculous. Still work though. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> They couldn't stop. Dude, it wasn't even a QB sneak. It was like He a, was untouched. Yeah, he 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 yeah. got in front of the offensive lineman. It was like, you know, he was That was a weird play. <laughs> that, that was a weird play. People forget he's like 6'4" 235. Like he's a he's a big quarterback. Yeah. No, that that was definitely a weird play. The the quarterback landscape in general. I know that y'all touched on it the last episode, so I don't want to go too far into the who needs a quarterback who doesn't scenario, but you guys hit the nail on the head, I think. The quarterback landscape next season and the season after is going to be absolutely wild. It was already wild yeah. this offseason. It felt like a Madden franchise. You know, you have Tom Brady on the Bucks and Philip Rivers on the Colts and, and random stuff. It's going to be even crazier next year because it feels like that, you know, those vets are all going to leave. So all those teams are now going to need quarterbacks plus teams like the Redskins where their young quarterback didn't pan out and the Jets, like, now they need quarterbacks again. So the, the demand for quarterbacks is going to be really high, and there are a lot of quarterbacks in the class next year that look pretty good. I've seen people saying there's going to be five, possibly good chance six quarterbacks drafted in the first round. Well, we all know – mini segment, mini segment. Um, we all know that Trevor Lawrence is going to be in the first round. I think that – most people would agree that Zach Wilson, the BYU quarterback, will be a first-round pick. Justin um, Fields. Justin Fields is definitely looking like a first-round pick. Don't you Best quarterback of all time, Trey Lance. Yeah, yep. Trey Lance. Don't you fucking sleep on our boy. Trey Lance podcast. Uh, I might sleep a little bit on Trey Lance. I oh, am, my God. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Why are you on this pod? Get See, like, th- th- this, is, this is why you're not a regular. It's just, I'm not sure I necessarily, now I need to do way more film study on Trey Lance, but I'm not sure I would want to see him be thrusted into a situation that a team like, like the Jets are going to try and go for, for Trevor Lawrence, where it's like, okay, save us. You know, if Trey Lance goes to an okay, save us scenario, I am not going to like that. I think that nah, – I- See, I think the perfect situation for him to go to is, is similar to, like, what happened with Josh Allen. You know, you're picked in that, you know, still high-end, you know, 10 to 15 range, and you, gave, you, you were given a chance to really come into your own and develop at your own pace. 
Well, not well. Can, that's different compared to like a guy that goes number one overall, where you're just like, all right, you're our savior, go at it. And then once they don't pan out in two years, they're like, oh, we tried, next guy. So like Josh Allen, it's now his what third season. Yep. So, so he's really coming into his own, and he, you know, his first season he had a million turnovers, and people were like, you can't fix that, you can't fix that, and he's really fixed it which is rare I, I understand but he's really was given a chance and the team built around him you know they gave him Stefan Diggs they gave him Devin Singletary and Zach Moss they you know they even they went out and signed guys like Cole Beasley who are just a nice solid wide receiver for to have so if he goes into a situation like that I think he can be very successful so from that 2018 draft we talked about before there was Baker Darnold Allen Rosen Lamar were the five quarterbacks drafted uh, in the first round. And Lamar and Allen are the two of real worth. Like, Baker and Darnold kind of – like, they're not as high as – like, you wouldn't be picking Darnold or Baker at 1-1 and 1-3 now. Like, there's no shot you would be doing as a franchise. You'd pick Allen and Lamar over them. But what I'm saying is they're going to pick we, – we're thinking – anywhere five, six quarterbacks drafted in the first round. I know a lot of it ends up with scheme and coaching, but how many players, how many of those like five to six quarterbacks you actually see being fantasy relevant three years from now? I think a big part is situation. Yeah. Cause it's, I think, I think really you can make the case like Sam Donald could have been fantasy relevant if he wasn't on the jets. <laughs> yeah. You know but I mean? Everyone's saying Trevor Lawrence, no matter where he goes, will well, be Trevor's good. Trevor's different. Yeah, I mean, Trevor, he's a generational prospect. Trevor, like yeah, would, but but someone, what what I'm saying, sorry, JT, cut you off. What I'm saying is someone like if you look like say like a Kyle Trask, right, who's kind of viewed as like the QB five and expect to go like mid first round, um, like he's somewhere where it really depends on his situation. Like I think if he's on a bad team, he can't carry. So, now, uh, what were you going to say? Now, so in our Superflex League, um, we had – last year we had uh, Burrow, Tua, and Herbert go in the first round. If everything goes as planned, and we're saying Kyle Trask is like pick 120 in the real NFL draft, how many Superflex quarterbacks should go in the first round? Should go in the first round, not Would not you say real. That one more time? I so are like you gonna, are you going to assume that the other four quarterbacks that are right now above Kyle Trask are all picked before one twenty in this hypothetical? Yeah, draft? we're going to say Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. Um, I don't know who you have next. Wilson Zach Lance. Wilson. Yeah, you have Wilson next. So both of those guys, let's assume, get drafted. Yeah, they all get drafted within the first. We'll do 25 picks, first 25 picks. I, I, I don't think, think you can have Trask as a first-rounder in that, in that rookie draft then. That, that's where I disagree. Um, I think – because people, people thought the same thing with Herbert last year. People were like, oh, I don't, I don't like Herbert. But it was different. Herbert went sixth overall in the NFL. Yeah, Jordan Love, went, is- Jordan Love went what? 20, what were the Packers at? Because like, we had Jordan Love and Jalen Hurts win the first round last year. And both of them were picked second. Oh, J- Jalen Hurts did not go in the first oh, round. Oh, sorry, not Jalen Hurts. Second, not, second but, round, second round. But Jordan Love did go first round. 
and he was picked the late second round in our super flex. I think that's pretty close to what consensus was. He was a, a second round pick, roughly. Yeah, I also but you, feel you, like you know with go ahead, Frank. I also feel like in most super flex rookie drafts, while there were some leagues where Justin Herbert would fall out of the first round, I think consensus was that he was going towards the later part of the first round in most leagues. Most, yeah. I mean, you give me. I'm just saying, some probably had him start a second. I'm saying, like, say, say, like Kyle Trask goes to. I don't know. I'm picking a team that could be mid first round. Say he goes to the 49ers, and the 49ers move on from Jimmy G. Or say he goes to like Minnesota. Are are you not taking him at any point in the first? This is hard too because it's just a hypothetical. He's he's not gonna go top like seven where like it's like a shitty situation. Like he he's projected like in like that ten to twenty range, where the team's is gonna be not bad. Again, that, that's it, what I'm it's, saying with that. It's a really tough thing to say because, like Frank said, it's a hypothetical. You know, it really depends on how he fits the scheme. Is he going to be the starting quarterback? Because I think a lot of these guys, like this, is a very deep quarterback class, and like you said, there's a good chance. The 49ers, the Vikings, or someone like that takes a quarterback. I think there's a good chance they sit behind Kirk Cousins for a year. I think there's a good chance they sit behind Jimmy G for a year and see what happens. Like, it, it it's, it's factors like this that will affect his uh, where they fall in a, in a dynasty draft for for uh, next season. So, it's hard to really tell at this point. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, um, I, I completely agree with Jake. Like. Honestly, I see Kyle Trask. I'm not sure he's a first-round pick yet. I think that he definitely shows signs and traits of a first-round talent. Um, I've not watched anywhere near enough Kyle Trask to make that judgment. But, like, Kyle Trask could easily be the sixth quarterback taken, even because we have those four or five quarterbacks we already mentioned. And then you can start throwing guys like Mac Jones into the conversation. Like, and he could be in a situation where say he goes to the bears, the bears make the playoffs. They have a a later first round pick, but they keep Nick Foles around and then, okay, he could start, you know, he's the long-term option, but he's not starting immediately. Is that someone that you're going to take over? I mean, you're, there's plenty of running backs. (laughs) There's plenty of wide receivers. There's so many wide receivers. And then the receivers, I'm just not sure as a first round pick in a, in a dynasty rookie draft, you're going to like, cause I'm not sure he's going to be a first round pick in the real draft in, in the NFL draft in a dynasty rookie draft where you only got 12 spots. It's just tough for me, unless I desperately need a quarterback and quarterbacks are flying off the board, half the first rounds quarterbacks. You're like, I'm going to be passing up on a really talented receiver or running back probably to draft someone like Kyle Trask at quarterback. I just don't really see it happening unless he he's one of those Herbert type prospects. And even he was slept on, like you guys said earlier. That's, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. I think I think the big spot is going to be a uh, big thing. Is going to be the landing spots for all of them and where they were drafted. Um, if no one has anything to say about that, um, I can get to my second dynasty, which kind of is on the topic of quarterback. So it's actually kind of a nice transition. Um, is Kyler the dynasty QB one? No. No. <laughs> Sorry, Luna. No, Hayden. <laughs> You He's have two. A guy named Patrick I, Mahomes. Yeah, I have him too, but Patrick Mahomes is one. Now listen, let me make my case. Go ahead. Okay. He's the Kyler owner, by the way. 
Yeah, the woman uh, says the, that, I'm the I'm the Mahomes that, owner that, too. That, that may or may not be <laughs> confirmed. Um, there's two team lunaces in the league. It could be deceiving. Uh, we don't know. If... <laughs> so, all right. So, what bullshit are you going to spew? Convince us. So, listen. Now we know what what tends to usually be the higher quarter. Now, okay. Obviously, real life quarterback is a different debate. The best real life NFL quarterback for the next 10, 12, 15 years is going to be Mahomes. Um, what I'm talking about is strictly fantasy. We see rushing quarterbacks get a much higher floor, okay? It doesn't matter when you put up 500 yards and four touchdowns in a game. <laughs> That's true. But also, um, uh, what is it? Uh, but also, it's not like Kyler's a bad passer. And this way, this time, midway through the season, he has 540 rushing yards and eight rushing touchdowns to go along with his 16 passing touchdowns, 2,100 passing yards. He also this year is outperforming Mahomes in fantasy with Mahomes having a, an amazing NFL season. Mahomes is like 20, 20-something touchdowns to one interception. Mahomes, it's between him and Russ for the MVP. Mahomes is playing phenomenal. And in fantasy, too. He's been top five, possibly top three. I got to check his ranking. Cur- currently, Mahomes because is – Because of Kyler's rushing for – Currently, Mahomes is QB1, but he's on bye this week, so he's going to get passed by probably yeah, Murray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and did, Kyler, too. did yeah. Kyler have his bye? Yeah, and Kyler had his bye week eight, so it's going to so even out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that's what I meant. I should have specified. Like, uh, Mahomes has his bye, and then Kyler already has his. Yeah. Um, Mahomes, for me, would be number two if I'm going to say Kyler's number one. Uh, How could you even say that? The rushing <laughs> We're watching a guy that honestly is on pace to become like the best quarterback of all time. Ooh, I'm talking fantasy. Whoa. Hold your horses there, buddy. No, I'm actually with Jake on that. He's on pace. I'm not saying he will be. I'm saying he's on pace if he keeps I, it up. I'm, Jake, I'm with he's, – he's, he's on his way to become the GOAT. You, won you one guys Super don't – let's, let's chill out here. But you guys don't know the wild card. You guys haven't factored it in yet. The advanced analytics. Patrick Mahomes is about to become a dad. And we haven't factored dad strength into this at all. We've seen I'm what just, happened with Russell you, Wilson. You, you want to talk, <laughs> talk about dad strength? Which quarterback has taken probably the biggest drop off this season? Are we going to say Phillip Rivers? <laughs> no. <laughs> He's got nine. Got nine kids. Yeah. Phillip Rivers wouldn't be in the league if he didn't keep having get, kids. Get, get, guess who had a kid last offseason? Uh, I beats me. Cam Newton? I don't know. Wentz. Mm. Oh. Mm. Talk about, talk about Luna, the you need to strength. wipe the face paint off, man, because all I'm seeing is clown shit all over your <laughs> <laughs> Let's get off this segment. This isn't even a segment. <laughs> <laughs> Mahomes is QB1 in any Superflex league. Like, I, listen, I love Kyler just as much as the next guy, but that's absurd. Oh, high rushing floor. I don't care. Mahomes is ridiculous. You're getting a guy that's probably thrown for around 50 touchdowns every year for like the next five years, it looks like. Get out of here. Listen, listen. there are sometimes quarterbacks who are better in fantasy, but not as good in real life. And that's all I am saying. Yeah, but you get the consistency. The guy's got to in your fucking contract. Yeah, those those guys come and go, though. Those, those guys come and go. Like, they'll bounce up and down. Like, Lamar Jackson, for example. 
I think Kyler should definitely pass Lamar as far as dynasty QBs are worth. But, like, they're going to bounce up and down. Lamar is the one guy who is always going to be standing there, like, just dropping dimes all consistently. 50 touchdowns to, like, four picks a year. Like, it's just ridiculous. Hey, man. I'm, I'm just saying. Do you guys, do you guys is, think Mahomes? Do you guys think Mahomes finishes above Kyler this season? It doesn't yes. matter. It doesn't matter. No, one, it doesn't matter. But two, yes. We're gonna Linus, say, Linus, I'll, Linus, I'll Linus. We can have this season. argument when Kyler gets that ten-year contract. All right. <laughs> Until then, sit down with your clown bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> he has a ten-year deal. Fantasy. He's got. He's gonna get a ten-year contract. Kyler will probably have about a 20-point head start going into the stretch of the season after bye weeks, give or take a few points. But Mahomes just has, like, a much nicer schedule, too. I know Kyler has Seattle one week, but other than that, it's pretty tough for Kyler, fantasy-wise. So I, I think Mahomes will probably edge him out. But definitely oh, dynasty rankings, give me, give me Mahomes. Not, not like he just dropped 38 on the Miami Dolphins defense. Yeah, but it's about the fact that you know – unless some major ridiculous stuff happens, that Mahomes is, like, the safest bet of any fantasy player. Like, yes, Kyler's really safe, too. But Mahomes, something catastrophic would have to happen for in the next three years him not to be a top-five quarterback. Oh, I'm not saying he's going to be top three. I have him, two for the rest of his career. Just saying – Get out. That's we're gonna like say All right, we need to move on because this is just clown <laughs> shit. Right. We're, we're gonna say. Do you guys want uh, my highlights now? Yeah, can we yeah. meet Lunas? <laughs> <laughs> around the, around the horn style. <laughs> <Negative> <laughs> points. I'm, I'm, coming, I'm coming back to this week 17. All right. We're all gonna see. Put it right down. Put it in our takes thing. We have to next episode. We should revisit our takes. We'll do a mid season look at what we said. Some That's a good idea. I like that idea. <laughs> I'm, I'm coming. Uh, I'm, we're going to see week 16. All right. Moving on to my highlights. Uh, my first highlight, you know what? I'll switch it up. I'll switch it up first because we've been talking about quarterbacks so long, so we'll stay on that point. Desha- Deshaun Watson looks way better <laughs> without Bill O'Brien there. I mean, I ranted about uh, on the first week's podcast where we talked about – or second week's podcast, technically, sorry. But we talked about how – they just completely ignored who they had as their quarterback and tried to run it against the Chiefs the entire time. It just made no sense to me. Um, since then, uh, Deshaun Watson has dropped 32 points against Tennessee, 24 against Green Bay, and 24 against Jacksonville. He's just looked a lot better and more efficient. And I'm, I guess the takeaway from this is how much do you guys think coaching has uh, – what input do you think coaching has – um, for your quarterback, fancy wise, I mean, huge impact. Adam, I mean, have you seen Adam Gase? That's true. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like he kills anybody. Huge impact. Um, but my thing is, so would you fade a quarterback based on say there's a coaching change? Like, would you fade a quarterback at that point, or buy a quarterback knowing that they're getting a different coach? I would buy if they're getting a better coach. Fade. Uh, I'm not going to dismiss someone right away because there are people who I had my doubts about, but they ended up being all right. Like you see Cliff Kingsbury, we didn't know how he was going to be because Texas Tech wasn't exactly a good team and his offense is high-powered. Joe Judge is much better than I thought he was going to be as a coach. But someone like like if you're on the Jets, 
and like say they hire the Chiefs offensive coordinator, who I still don't know how to pronounce his last name. Um, yeah, we, we all know. Yeah, BN. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, so say they hired him, I think the stock of every Jets offensive player goes up. Now, I guess what I was trying to get with like feeding someone, like for example, Russell Wilson, like Pete Carroll's an older head coach. Say Pete Carroll retires, like, are we worried about Russell Wilson's value? Like, are we worried about – no, right? But Dude, like, people were saying that Pete Carroll was holding him back for, like, most yeah. of his career. Yeah, that, that is a fair point. I, I, think, I think a better analogy would be, like, say, like – Patrick you want Mahomes to and Andy Reid. I was about to say that. Like, Mahomes and Reid or, like, Kyler and Kingsbury. Like, well, we've also seen – Lamar went on this week. I don't think that's anyone's highlights. I don't think I'm taking anything. Lamar was talking to Rich Eisen this week, and he said the reason that uh, he's not playing as well this year is that the defense already knows the play is going into it, which kind of, you know, threw Greg Roman under the bus. But um, I, I, I just don't know, like, what to think about coaches and if you're willing to fade someone who's really talented. I don't know. It's something to keep your eye on, I think. Yes, Frank? I will go because I have a lot to say on this subject. This is a subject okay. I'm very passionate about. Okay. Um, so let's just take it in the context of the current topic of Deshaun Watson and whether or not coaching has made an impact, like the coaching change has made an impact. I'm going to say no, it has not, because they are running practically the same offense that they were going to with Bob anyway, B-O-B, Bill O'Brien. Um <laughs> Now, with that being said, would I fade someone under a bad coach? Absolutely. Absolutely. And those are the type of ballsy moves that you can make that will win you or lose you fantasy football championships. But, like, at the end of the day, if you know that there is an incompetent coach, I mean, just look at Ryan Tannehill with Adam Gase. I think that's one of the better examples. Yeah. He took someone, you know, under Adam Gase, if you truly thought Adam Gase was the son of the devil and no matter what you had, no fantasy player was going to produce, which it pretty much has been, to be completely fair. <laughs> look, at, look at Devontae Parker and Kenyon Drake. Not yeah. only can you use it as a strategy to fade players on their team, you can use it to buy players low that switch out of that incompetent system. And, I, you know, Ryan Tannehill is an example. You can look at any Browns player under Hugh Jackson for the most part. Um, coaching definitely has an, a tremendous impact. I think it's less so for incompetent coaches because just because generally speaking, the, the level of coaching is very good in the NFL. There are times where you get an Adam Gase or a Hugh Jackson, but it's more likely that you don't have one of those. You just have one of the more average coaches than you do someone who just completely sucks. In that regard, I think that you need to more look at the systems that they run and what they've been good with. You know, I know this is a bad example to use, but Lamar Jackson and Greg Roman, Greg Roman was the guy that, that made Colin Kaepernick and made that offense. I know there's the whole conundrum with what's going on right now with the Ravens offense, but you can't say that while they're struggling, the Ravens offensive players suck ass, you know? I just think you need to look at more of, of system for, for average coaches. And, yeah, you can fade, you know, terrible coaches if you, if you know that someone's terrible. 
that that's what I was looking for, really. Um, if no one has any other thing to add on that, um, I'll move on to my second highlight, which real is quick, real quick with the coaching yep. thing. This is just a small bit of advice to anyone who's listening because of what Frank mentioned with buying low on guys with bad coaching situations. I don't know if we're going to talk about him on this pod, so I just wanted to say quick buy low on Denzel Mims. That's, that's the only thing I had to say, dude. What the hell is he, yo? <laughs> that's, that's one of Frank's things. Oh, I didn't know. Talk about it next. Come on. <laughs> we were literally one segment away, Lunas. I didn't. I didn't know. Wait, Classic Lunas. Classic Lunas. Dude, you uh, still got the clown paint on, man. Oh, <laughs> shit. He was, was blind from trying to wash it off. All right, ignore. Ignore. I said anything. All right, moving on to my second highlight. We've got running backs continue to be extremely unpredictable. Now that's you have Dalvin Cook. What'd you say? Unless your name is Dalvin Cook. Yeah, that's that's what I was gonna get at real quick. You have the top three, well top two really of Dalvin Cook and Christian McCaffrey, who put up really great games, both had over thirty points. Then your next highest was James Robinson with fifteen, who's actually had a very good year. Like he's the number four running back overall. Like very solid running back, has a ton of usage. Fine. But after that the top running backs this past week were Kalen Bellage, Jerick McKinnon, Rex Burkhead, Wayne Gallman. You have Kamara in there. Duke Johnson, Josh Jacobs is in there. Devontae Burke, Booker, and J.D. McKissick. That's like eight of the 12 running backs are people that you could have gotten for really cheap this year off waivers. Like none of them really had much value. So – what do we think about running backs in the NFL now? Like, are, are they worth as much as they normally are? Like, I know we talk about position, positional scarcity and everything and how it's so hard to get those top-tier running backs. But, like, it's impossible. Like, there's so few running backs that keep producing week in and week out, and I'm lost as to what to do about the position. So, my initial thoughts, I'll make this quick because I'm sure Frank and Jake have a lot to say about it. Um I think one disclaimer we should make, even though that was a kind of a crazy week with a lot of like kind of lower running backs making points, this has been kind of an absurd season with a ton of injuries. Um, we have guys like we're missing. Uh, McCaffrey played last week, but for most of the season he's been missing. Uh, Saquon Barkley's been missing. Nick Chubb has been missing. Uh, Miles Sanders has missed some games. Austin Eckler. Uh, Eckler has missed some games. So, and I'm, uh, there's more. I'm just freaking out the top of my head. I don't have a list. I think you said Nick Chubb. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, Chubb. Um, so, I think you do have a point in terms of outside the top tier running backs. Like, I, I think there's generally like a top, not even just only the RB1s, but I'll even go up to top 20 where it's just like you can kind of depend on them. But after that, it's kind of a, like a – crapshoot because we've seen kind of the NFL shift to not wanting to have a workhorse. Oh, the good guy how I forgot was Aaron Jones also because he he played limited snaps because he just came off the injury. Um, outside of the top 20, we see and just in general, teams don't like to just depend on one back. Uh, they like they like using um, different running backs. So we see random weeks, different guys come up. So I think it becomes common. Even if you look at the Cowboys with Zeke, um, Obviously, Zeke, he's normally – he's obviously always like a top 10, top 5 – well, top 7, top 5 back. Um, but he's just taking a hit because Dak's been hurt, so there are less scoring opportunities. But even there, you're starting to see Tony Pollard start to get some more carries. So, 
I think I think that's been the trend. But if you have an upper tier back, I think you're safe there. But after that, it eventually becomes like a crapshoot. Yeah, I mean, my opinion on this subject as it relates to Dynasty is that it just puts an emphasis um, on a championship team or a championship caliber team having to have at least one of that upper tier back. Yeah. Um, if you don't have one of those upper tier backs, you are, like you said, it's a crapshoot every week a lot of the times. And I'll, and I'll give it, there's, this year has been strange with a lot of injuries. And especially with last week, you know, the Bengals were on by, so that means Mixon's on by. The Browns were on by. That means both Hunt and Chubb were on by. And the Rams with Daryl Henderson, who's been very good recently, is on by. And the Eagles with Miles Sanders were on by. So that compounded with the injuries, um, I think really led to a very strange running back week. But like I was saying, if you want to be a championship team, you need one of these top backs, whether it's, you know, uh, Dalvin Cook or McCaffrey or Aaron Jones or, I mean, Saquon when he's healthy. Like, you need that upper tier back. And it makes – that's why – it puts such a, a value on those guys and it's almost impossible to trade for a guy like that without mortgaging a bunch of young players, a bunch of future draft capital. And usually it, it, it doesn't always work, work because the guy who's selling is probably only going to sell for a, a real haul and, and make his team better in the long run. So it, it's really tough to value running backs just because you don't want to give up too much. And then if you try to give up too little, the guy that has them is never going to sell them. So you really got to you got to try to find a running back either one in the draft which means you're not a very good team usually or two you got to try to trade low. And that's what I did when I acquired Dalvin Cook in the first place is I I mean I ended up giving up Calvin Ridley but that was 2 years ago so I mean it looks it looks a lot better before uh before this year when Ridley's broken out but you know, it, it's just hard to get these running backs. So that's another point, though, that you made, like, drafting the running back and everything. It seems like this year there's two very good players in Travis Etienne and Najee Harris who, from a prospect perspective, they don't seem much better than any of those top five guys we had this year. Like, they're, they're, they're in the same conversation, of course, but they're not that Saquon Barkley kind of talent. So my question is, and the following year, I think I'm not too big into Debbie, but I've heard stuff about like Brees Hall and maybe Isaiah Spiller, but not like a transcendentalist kind of talent. So my question is, where are these like bell cow running backs going to be coming from in the next few years? Like, I think it's just going to be the same guys we have now. Maybe some of these rookies actually step up and become bell cow running backs. But I know we've said before that the quarterback landscape looks like it's going to be changing a lot. I don't necessarily think the running back landscape is going to be changing that much relative to how it normally changes. Normally there's running back switching teams all the time. I just, I just don't see that happening. I, I think people can feel a little more comfortable these next few years about their running backs and who they have. See, I just think you can never be comfortable with your running backs. Running backs have the, the shortest – shelf life of any position in football most of them don't even get a second contract or if they do it's to be a a part of a committee somewhere i think that's the biggest factor so like the second contract 
I, mm-hmm. I'm the guy that's never happy with the running backs, even if if it is a if it is a great situation. Like you always got to be listening to offers and trying to make sure you're not going to get screwed by having your running back fall off a cliff. And it happens often. And I could like this year, Chris Carson is a free agent after the year. What happens with him? James Conner is a free agent after the year. What happens with him? There's a bunch of guys that are, you know, running back ones this year that you don't know what is going to happen with them. Fair point. All right. Yeah, I can, uh, go ahead, Frank. So this season with the running back injuries, is giving me flashbacks to the um, to the 2015 season, where you had um, just a whole lot of running backs get get injured, but then you had a couple that were consistent. That was the year that the Devonte Freeman really came out, and um, so you had guys like Adrian Peterson was easily the top back at the time, even though he was aging. But you know, at, at the time, you know, you had your your young stud. You had you had Todd Gurley who was looking like the next best thing since sliced bread. And then you had players like uh, Devontae Freeman, kind of Latavius Murray, not, not as much as some of the backs nowadays, but these were guys that you looked at, you know, Lamar Miller even, where you said, oh, you know, I can get years of production out of this guy. Like Todd Gurley, you were thinking, oh, this guy's going to be the next good back for, for years and years to come. I think that Jake hit the nail on the head and that you can never trust the running back position because the old adage says running backs will win you fantasy football leagues and running backs will lose you fantasy football leagues. And you have to treat the position that way. Uh, I know we're going to get into a listener question later on about, you know, rebuilding teams and acquiring running backs. I think that at the end of the day, Jake is right. You need to just, trade for running backs you like whenever it doesn't matter what your situation is looking like you can never have too many good running backs on your roster um and i think he's also right in that running back unless you're really a sick team and you're just that one good ass running back away or you really just love the player you're trading for i am not the type of guy that likes to buy high on running backs unless the deal really makes sense for you um, so it's just that whole stick. Yeah. I know a lot of guys got contracts this year, but you know, there's the running back contract curse that we've ran into time and time again, that teams, I guess have not learned from because there was the whole PFF thing not too long ago thinking, you know, saying according to data analytics, never pay a running back. It's not worth it. You can always draft someone or find someone in free agency, but a whole lot of teams just sign running backs to long-term contracts. I, me personally, I'm not too confident in a lot of these backs, even someone like Dalvin cook, where the whole, you know, everything's looking great. I own Dalvin cook in a league, but I think you always just have to be ready for one of these guys to fall off a cliff. You know, you always just have to have that in the back of your head. You can never think that, especially a running back of all positions that any one of these guys is invincible. That, that's fair. I think that's a good, a good point. point. Um, and JT, last comment to what you said, because this, this part of what you said was kind of untouched, where you said um, you don't know where these new running backs are going to come in. Mm-hmm. Um, and you think, like, if you have one of the top guys, it's kind of safe. I think ultimately everything depends on situation. Because, um, like, say, say Clyde Everett-Hilaire, 
before they signed uh, Le'Veon Bell, which I don't anticipate him being on the Chiefs next year, he was RB9 for the year and at least half PPR. Like, uh, that's what our league is in. He was RB9 for the year, which is, like again, that's a perfect situation. So, again, it depends on situations. Like, say if Aaron Jones leaves Green Bay, if a running back ends up there rather than, say, like a, like a Jets – that's a huge difference. Like that automatically turns him to maybe like an RB 26 to maybe like an RB like 13. You know what I mean? So I, th- I think situations play a huge impact because you just want to be part of a high scoring offense because all those goal line carries add up. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily that like, obviously the top guys, you're pretty safe, but with rookies, you're kind of banking on being in the perfect situation or in a really good situation. Cause if you're in a bad one, they're, they're kind of fucked. So no, that's just kind of the quick comment I wanted to have on that. Last comment before I move on. When you say running back, we don't know where they're coming from. You're right. Who would have thought James Robinson would have been a running back? Yeah. Uh-huh. You, don't, you never know where he's Chris Carson. Um, James Conner to an extent. There, there are a few guys in recent years who have kind of come out of nowhere. Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones. I mean, the yeah. other thing, too, is you look at some of the top running backs in the league. You know, a lot of these guys aren't first-round picks. Derrick Henry, he's a second-round pick. Joe Mixon, he's a second-round pick. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on and on of running backs that have had really good production that weren't these Saquon Barkley-type prospects coming out, and and vice versa. How many running backs have you seen in the first round that have flopped? Now, in recent memory, especially with us, you know, you know, we kind of grew up in the age of flopped first-round running backs. It <laughs> seemed like. Um, so, you know, it's not like that's always happening, but at the end of the day, the draft is always going to be an imperfect process, especially at the running back position. You know, I think that you can't – you're, you know, judging a class based off of when they're sophomores and looking at the Debbie reports and whatnot, I think is being a little bit overzealous and try to, trying to plan around that being like, oh, well the, the freshman class is looking better than the sophomore class. I'm trading all my 22s first for 23 first unless you you're really confident and you really know your crap i'd avoid doing stuff like that yeah it's risky uh rip to anyone in the Debbie league who drafted bryce love really early after a sophomore <laughs> season <laughs> um things change yeah. fast man it's a year-to-year league yeah unless uh unless anyone else has anything to say on that uh frank you can get into yeah your your highlights, which I totally did not um, Step talk about over. earlier, and I'm totally deleting that 15-second thing I said. <laughs> yeah, I, one of my highlights totally isn't about Denzel Mims having a good game against the Patriots. Not at all. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, my, my highlight this week is, is basically, you know, Pittman and Mims. These were two guys that a lot of people drafted high in their rookie drafts at the receiver position. Not necessarily first round, but, you know, compared to guys like Ayuk and maybe even a Justin Jefferson or Jalen Rager in some scenarios, you know, these were two guys that just showed up late to the party, it seems like. And they both are coming off of a, a good stretch of games, uh, finally starting to get some production out of these guys. And, I'm kind of, I kind of want to beg the question to you guys. Is this the correct time to buy on these players? Because as of right now, Pittman and Mims, when you compare them to prospects like Justin Jefferson, 
or, or a Jerry Judy, they are going to be valued significantly lower to any, you know, not blind owner, right? You know, unless the owner's crazy, you're going to be able to get them for a way less price. So my argument is, is there a guy that you, out of one of these two that you would be looking to buy if you, if your team was in the right position to? I wonder what Lunas thinks about Denzel Mims. As I clearly did not state earlier, um, I think Denzel Mims is still in a good buy low range. Um, okay, so the, the, this part about Pittman is kind of – it depends on the owner. To someone who you think is not the best dynasty owner, you could probably still buy. To a smart dynasty owner, the the buy low on Pittman has kind of just closed. Like you can still buy him, but in terms of like just buying really cheap, I think the time to do that was during his injury. Um, I think you could still do that with Mims, but Pittman just had a great game. Like we've seen T.Y. Hilton has pretty much just faded away completely into irrelevancy. They don't have any other receivers. Paris Campbell is he looked good when he played earlier this year, but he's he plays a completely different position. He's a slot receiver. Pittman's an outside guy. Um, so I think Pittman to a smart dynasty owner may be tougher to get, but I think Mims is still someone you can buy low. What's the price on these guys, you think, Linus? In terms of draft picks. Because I think I think during Pittman's injury realistically he was worth like a mid late second like you know one of those yeah. 206 207 kind of yeah, picks okay, in my but opinion what owner that just took him at let's say 202 r- roughly is going to sell him for that yeah you're not going to sell him for that so you so know you would have had to pay that's so that's what i'm saying is like yes his hypothetical value is that around 207? Yeah, but who was no giving owner, up an early no second round pick for? Who's giving up 201, 202 if you knew you had it for him? Say that again? If, if you knew when Pittman was injured, say three weeks ago, right? You knew that you had 201 or 202 in the bag. You're giving that up for Pittman at the time? No shot. I don't think you are. No, like that's the point is like it would have been hard. To, it's, it would have been hard to trade for him, in my opinion, any point this season. Because, okay. one, um, the owner that drafted him used a high second-round pick, likely maybe even a late first in some scenarios, on Michael Pittman coming out of USC. And he didn't really get to see him play. So at that point, the owner is probably going to continue to value him at where he drafted him. And now – now that he's played and had a good game, his, va- his value can only go up. So the, to me, this isn't the time to buy him. You give him two, three weeks, let him cool off, let him maybe have a few bad games in a row, and then snipe him. That's how I would do it personally. So what I think I'm going to call this, I'm going to call it the Joe Mixon paradox, where it's you have a player that everyone thinks. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, that name. <laughs> I'm trademarking that actually. Let's put it on shirts. We'll sell it. Joe Mixon paradox. Joe, you have a player. I'm, I'm writing this down, JT. I'm taking notes. I hope you know that. <laughs> My I mind is a money it. machine. <laughs> anyway, you have players that everyone knows is really good, and everyone knows is just like well, you you believe they have really good potential. You you think that they're going to become 
something in the future or, or better than what they're currently rated. But the issue is you're going to try and buy low and any smart owner, we're just going to assume most owners are smart, knows what's happening and knows that you're trying to buy low on them. So it just doesn't work. It's, it's like the, well, the owner always wants more. What do you say, Jake? How is this related to Joe Mixon? No, I, I completely understand. How what is it because, because it's Joe, Joe Mixon. You don't see the vision. Joe Mixon. You got to connect the it's, dots. It's always it's Joe Mixon is that pinnacle <laughs> player of he's going to be that running back one. Like he's going to be a top five running back. He's going to be like this really great player. He just has a terrible O line. Like the team just hasn't figured it out. The Bengals just need those weapons. Like it, Joe Mixon is that pinnacle player of. Everyone wants to go and buy Joe Mixon because they think they're going to be able to buy him low, and all the owners just aren't willing to sell low on him. Like, I think want to be Miles Sanders. Exactly. Mm. <laughs> Thank you. But, <laughs> but moving on from that point, what I think this leads us to, what I think this point leads us to is, who are those wide receivers this year, the rookie wide receivers currently, that you still think are good buy low on? Like one I throw out there who I happen to buy in a bigger deal from Jake is Brian Edwards. We haven't seen him play yet. He's been injured. I think he's someone that you could still buy pretty cheap. Now the caveat to him is he could be bad. Like we just don't know. But who are like those other players? Like is KJ Hamler one? Is Devin Duvernay one? Time out, time out, time out, time out, time out. Joe Mixon paradox. I do think Um, Duvernay is one. The thing is, is that Michael Pittman I think that you can get – like, you're not paying a first-round pick for him. You can get him for less than a first-round pick. Well, you, every you're a Michael Pittman owner, receiver. right? Yeah. Well, so, what, what would you, you take? Yeah, what would you take for Michael Pittman? One of those early seconds right now, probably. If no, you, you would me, not. No, you would not. You, you're telling me you – What do you mean? You take 201 for Michael Pittman right now. Depending on who's on the board, Yeah. I mean, it depends on well, who's on the board. Well, we're talking about right now. Say it's a pre-draft trade. This moment, would you do it? I definitely consider it if I knew it was if it was a guaranteed two hundred one. Wait, so what do you we, mean? Who's like? I don't understand. Is this terribly unreasonable? Like, I, I no. Think that, Especially no, this year, I don't think it is. Owners are would be glad to get the first pick in the second round right now. After this, yeah, you're you you're, you could be selling low on him, and he had a great week. Well, he had a great week. He was wide open on every freaking catch he had. Was, he was schemed open. Don't, don't come out here and act like he was mossing people. The dude caught two slant passes and took it 40 yards. I don't yeah. wanna, I'm one of the biggest Michael Pittman guys out there. But it's not <laughs> like last game was, oh, my God, Michael Pittman's going off. You see that one-handed grab he had? Holy crap, look at – dude, he had the slant passes, man. He was schemed <laughs> open. He had an end around, and there was no one within 10 yards, and he had two blockers in front of him. Give me yeah, a slant, some, he slant boy say, to Michael Thomas's slant man. <laughs> some, 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 would say, some, some would say he's a poor man's Travis Fulgham. Um, <laughs> We're making like a slant family. <laughs> I'll, never get over, I'll never get over slant boy. This is his own teammate. From his yeah, own teammate. Off the rails. <laughs> the Joe from, Mixon just, from your own teammate. Like Malcolm Jenkins is a leader in that locker room. <laughs> right. Let's 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 try and get back on track here. I mean, <laughs> all right, yeah, let's get let's get back. <laughs> Frank Frank would give up two hundred one for 
I'd consider it. I'd, you consider. I'd heavily consider it. Like, uh, I well, think it's ridiculous for a Pippen owner to not consider that deal. Like, I think, I think it's harder right now just because you don't know the class. And if I, I think it's also easier maybe if you're a team that has really good receivers where it's like you don't need a Pittman to pan out for you to be a good team. Maybe you want 201 so that you can snatch, snatch up a guy like a Kyle Trask we were talking about earlier, one of these quarterbacks that falls into the second round or, or, or maybe a running back that can fall into the second round. Um, but I think it's – I can understand if a Pittman owner doesn't want to trade him for 201. I'm, like, I'm not 100% I'd trade him for 201, but damn, I'd think about it. It's not a, something I'd be like, ah, instant decline, bullshit. No, I'd 100% really think about that offer. If there was a year where 201 is probably more valuable, I would say it's probably this year. Because you're, you're going to have Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields going in the first. The only issue is running back. Like, you're, not gonna, you're probably not going to get a good running back in the second round. But you're going to have, I'd say, at least three, probably four quarterbacks go in the first round in the super flex. At least three, but probably four. You have – you're gonna have you a have, tight end. You're gonna have a tight end going the first round. That's, that's where I was going. You're getting you're getting at least yeah, one tight end two. in the first round. Yeah, prob yeah, I was yeah. gonna say probably two. Then you also have the players like you gotta put in Etienne and Harris and Jamar Chase and Bateman and more. Like that's already like a full Waddle. first round. Yeah, that Waddle that's a full first round already. So now you're dropping back. I don't even know who we haven't included yet, but there's going to be good players in that second round. Who it's gonna it's gonna be like at two oh one. You kind of left with the decision. Would you rather have like a Devonte Smith dash Jalen Waddle, one of those guys, or um, Michael? I'm Pippen? taking Devonte Smith over Claypool, not Claypool, um, over Pittman. Uh, Pittman probably very easily. I, I now at the same time, I don't think Devonte Smith is going to make it out of the first round of a rookie draft. He that, could. That's like, my, my point here is that you basically are trading a receiver that was valued at 201 or 202 around there for just the next year receiver value at the same spot. And at some point, at least to me, you got to believe in the guy you chose and let him develop. Because if you just trade every rookie after a, you know, a decent rookie year to slightly below average rookie year, you're never going to get anywhere. It took Calvin Ridley three years to be where he is right now. And, and it takes guys to develop. You can't always just sell immediately. It's just – to me, it's just pushing back Michael Pittman's talent a year to the guy that's valued pretty much the same exact thing a year after. I No, I, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit there. Just because, okay, <laughs> Calvin Ridley – I think Calvin Ridley is a different example because I think that Calvin Ridley was a much safer – no, no, dynasty I'm, I'm just saying, I was just was. using Calvin really as an example yeah, yeah. of how guys can develop later and not just their rookie season. Well, yeah, yeah no, that's I'm, why I'm even, not an instant except if you're a Pittman owner. Even if you look at like a Chris Godwin who's similar to kind of Calvin Ridley in terms of kind of like he was a high – he was probably like a high second and his rookie year wasn't extremely productive. Uh, I'm actually pulling up the stats now from his rookie year. Uh, his rookie year, he only had 500 receiving yards on 34 catches. Like it's, um, so I think it's complicated. It, it depends. I think part of it depends on the draft class. Like we know this draft class is coming. That's coming is strong versus two years ago, the one with Montgomery uh, and all those guys was considered kind of weaker. Um, so I think that's a factor. Uh, one thing I do want to ask you guys, sorry, 
if anyone else wanted to give a Michael Pittman take, would you consider guys like, I guess if they're a smart fantasy or dynasty owner, they wouldn't. But to a casual dynasty owner, would you guys put guys like Rager and Ruggs who haven't been as productive because of either injuries or just production um, in that like possible like buying low category that you should try and go out for? Big time, yes. I mean, I, I, I've been Either a Rugs fan. I've been said I've said I was a Rugs fan. I still think I, I I still believe in him. Rager, I I just think right now like is a good time to buy him. Like it's kind of and I think both of these players kind of fall into the Joe Mixon paradox. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, about, where like I'm coining that be, phrase. <laughs> Where we where they're going to be valued higher by the owner that has them and lower and try to be bought low by the guys that are trying to get him. So it, it, it's a, it's kind of a mismatch, but I do like both of those players. And what I do think, you think gets it done for him? Which one? I either one. Rugs or Rieger? Like Rugs, if you were offered um, a playoff team, a contending team's first, not necessarily the championship favorite, but if you were offered a contending team's first, are you taking that for rugs? We can ask the rugs earner. That's a tough question. Cause rugs and a lot of rookie drafts went in that late uh, first. Usually most of the time in rookie drafts went in that nine to 12 range. Um, whew, that's tough. This is the same argument to me that we just had with Michael Pittman. You're trading a guy that you took in the late first round wide receiver and pushing it back to the next year. Yeah, but I can at least argue with Ruggs. So here's the problem that I have with Pittman right now. Granted, we've seen no tape, which is why it's not an easy answer when you trade him for 201. With Ruggs, I, he was drafted to be a deep threat receiver that can make a contested catch, and he has done exactly that in the league. He has proven – that he is good at the role that he was taken to be drafted in. Michael Pittman, on granted he had a great day the past couple games, has not shown me that he is very competent in the role that he was drafted to do. Granted, it's early, and that's why – listen, I like Pittman still. I'm not giving up on him. But at the end of the day, if I see someone that is struggling in the role that they were drafted to play in, it's not like – now, granted, I, I think that they are somewhat misusing Pittman. I, he's lining up in the slot so much. I would like to see him on the outside a little bit and using his size. but And he's only played like two or three games. He's only played a handful of games. It's just I think that that's the one flaw in that theory. Oh, you're just trading away for what you drafted in him. You want to see what he is. Well, if you see that he's not doing well in the player that you thought he was going to become and you think that, the strengths that he had coming out aren't strengths in the NFL level. I think that you can get out of a player that you think might flop or just be average. And then at 201, you could have the that's – a, that's a pick where you can take one of the more talented players. I mean, we've seen – there were drafts where Justin Jefferson probably fell to 201 and, and other talented players, you know, and draft classes before and beyond will fall – good players to 201. I completely agree with you. You always have to be evaluating your players. But in this case, to me, like guys like Ruggs and 
and Pittman are guys that like I really haven't had enough time to de- mm-hmm. like to evaluate. Both of them have missed time with injury, and both in the little time they've played have looked pretty good. So like to me, it's really tough to evaluate a guy who's played only three, yeah. four games, whatever it is. And 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 to me, at this point, like I said, it's just pushing it back a year. And I like in some cases that might make sense if you're really far away from competing. It might make sense. I understand that, but. In general, I don't like to push back because I think the best time to win is now, is it not? So, you know. Um, I don't know how into college football you guys are or Debbie and looking into. Um, I'm with you, Jake, by the way. Good point. Um, I don't know how into it you guys are, Debbie, college football and whatnot. But so Michael Pittman uh, came from USC. He was a fourth-year wide receiver. There's another wide receiver coming from USC, St. Brown, this year. He'll most most likely enter the draft. Would you guys rather take the lottery ticket on St. Brown, or would you rather have Michael Pittman? Well, I I don't know about that necessarily because I haven't watched tape, but let me put it like this. If I'm sitting there at 201, right, or let's say I have Pittman – and the 201 guy is like, hey, I'll trade you 201 for Pittman. And I see Rondale Moore, a spicy tuna in Rondale Moore, sitting there ready for me to take spicy it. tuna. <laughs> You're telling me I'm not insta-smashing that accept button? Like, it is a little more so than like, okay, well, would you trade him for 201? Oh, well, that's what you draft. Like, it depends on the prospects that are there. Like, okay, if Rondale Moore – and Devontae Smith and all the guys that I like are gone, and 201 is is a big old pile of garbage, at least compared to Pittman, then I'm going to be like, nah, I'm, I'm not trading him for 201. But, you know, if I get my spicy tuna in Rondell Moore, then, dude, see a, see a Pittman? Yes, but I'm, I think I, this question is more phrased along the lines of, you know, it's coming up on the trade deadline in a lot of leagues, and if this was offered to you now, Obviously, if you got this offer in the draft, you could evaluate who's left on the board and it could mm-hmm. make the decision much easier or much – I mean, it would make it much easier in any scenario pretty much because you know who's there. But if you had to decide right now, I think it's a very – like you said, a very tough decision, and I don't know if I would do it because it's just pushing it back. Unless, yeah, that's fair. Unless it's just I think that Pittman owners have to, be, have to be consi- – and that's why I'm thinking he's a buy low is just because you can get him – for in some leagues, depending on the owner, you can probably get him for the same price he was drafted at, which you can argue is is a buy low. You know, like he's a receiver that you can get for the same price, and he'll be more experienced. And I mean, he just had a good game, but there might be some owners that might be looking at this like, oh, I'm selling high. I just got the first pick in the second round for him. So, like, I think it, the same scenario applies to both Mims and Pittman, which is why I initially brought it up is that you could probably have an outside shot of getting them for the same capital that they were drafted at, or maybe you just throw in some random player, like, you know, a Zach Pascal and the pick that he was drafted at, and that gets the deal done. I think we should move on, though. I think we've beat this yeah. topic to death. <laughs> we have. Um, so what do we have next? Uh, trending up, up, trending down. Yeah, our turning up, turning down segment. Yeah, so I think we should try to keep this one a little brief, boys. 
we spent a lot of time on the our highlights this week. So uh, we're just going to run through this really quick. Uh, my trending up of the week is Christian Kirk. He's had two good weeks in a row. He's tied to a very high-powered offense with Kyler Murray. He's opposite, you know, DeAndre Hopkins getting all the attention on the other side. And he's really starting to prove that he's the number two receiver in Arizona, and it's showing because he's been red hot lately. Yeah, I completely agree. It's a high-powered offense. Kyler's only going to get better as a passer. And I don't, I don't see them uh, drafting a wide receiver high or signing a big free agent. They have other needs they need to fill. And I think a wide receiver, they've been pretty – like their offense isn't the problem. Their passing attack between those two. So I, I envision Kirk being the number two for a while. So I'm with you. He's been playing great recently. Um, and uh, what is he's going to be valuable for a while, especially paired with Kyler. Lunas, who you got as you're trending up this week? So we're trending up this week. I have Curtis Samuel. So now Curtis. Part of what Curtis Samuel was a big value with him is the fact that he stuck behind DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson this offseason. I mean, this season, but he's a free agent this offseason. I don't think the Panthers are going to pay him more than another team probably would to be a number one or two receiver, probably number two receiver. Um, I don't know why I said one. But recently he's been playing well. The past two weeks in half PPR, he's put up 14.3, 19.4, and 22.3. Uh, he has four touchdowns in the last three weeks. They've been getting him more touches. Obviously, McCaffrey coming back. One of the big things that's been nice with him is he's had a couple rushes every game. And McCaffrey coming back, I don't know if that'll be the case. But he's one of – this is a weird stat. He's one of the top five leaders in third down catches, which is kind of Teddy Bridgewater looks to him in those kind of situations. And he, the past three weeks, he's been playing well. Last week was the probably best game of his career. Nine catches for 105 yards and a receiving touchdown with 13 rushing yards. Um. I think they've been finally kind of using him more. I've always thought he was a talented player that kind of wasn't getting used to his full potential. So I think they've been using him more. And if you're a Curtis Samuel owner, uh, him going to a different team this offseason where he can be a number two receiver will be nice. If he has a rough game stretch the rest of the way, I think he'll be a buy low because of that offseason possibility. But um, he, he's my he's my trending up for this week. I thought he's played really well. Where would you want Curtis Samuel to end up real quick? As a Curtis Samuel owner? Um, dream scenarios are kind of like Green Bay, uh, Chicago, especially if they don't re-sign Allen Robinson. Um, on any team where you could be one of the two, like even if you went to like the Giants, you know what I mean, where like you can get more looks. Uh, I don't remember all the teams that have a ton of cap space off the top of my head. But just any team where if he comes in, he's not the three. Like, if he can be the two on any team where you know he's going to get a bunch of looks, anyone who's had him and has watched a lot on him, I think he's one of the better route runners in the NFL. And he's extremely talented if you get the ball in his hands. So I'm looking forward to a team that will pay him a decent amount, meaning they're going to use utilize him a lot. Dude, I think that's a great point because if Aaron Jones is somehow not in the Packers by at the end of next or at the start of next season, which I think he will be, and they have Curtis Samuel, that's a perfect fit. That is, yeah, exactly. That would be unbelievable for Curtis Samuel owners. All right, we ready for my trending up? Yeah, let's hear it. So I have Brandon Cooks, and Brandon Cooks has been sneakily quietly. 
He had the zero-point game against Minnesota, and he's had a bye week week eight. But the four weeks in between, he's been averaging 17 half-point PPR points um, per game, which is enough that a season pace that puts him as a high-end wide receiver one. And that's just been a sneaky quiet 17 points per game. Um, I don't know what it is. I, I think it's, he's finally becoming more efficient with the targets. He's been having – like, he's becoming more productive. He's been having a lot of targets this year. I, I was saying in an earlier one a few weeks ago, probably like a month ago, that he was a buy because he's been having so, all these targets but hasn't been doing much with them. I think it's finally clicked him and Deshaun. He, he's finally hitting his stride. Uh, Will Fuller getting hurt and banged up a little bit uh, at the start probably also helped. But, yeah, uh, Brandon Cook's training up for me. Yeah, um, I agree. I think I think part of the reason why we've seen – Frank mentioned earlier, the Texans are still generally running the same offense. I think part of the reason you've seen Deshaun Watson starting to play well has been gaining chemistry with those receivers that are not named DeAndre Hopkins. Obviously, Fuller's been there for a bit, so that's why you've seen Fuller playing really well. But it took him a little bit to start to build chemistry with Cooks. And recently, he's been nice. The past four games he's played, he's had 26, 17.3, 9.5, and then 15.8. So – I think for this year, uh, if you don't have – I mean, if your trade deadline's still happening in a couple of weeks, if your contender can get him, he's a nice get. Um, I don't know about him long term. I think next year he'll still be good. But he, he's been playing great recently. Yeah, real quick before you move on, JT, I, I think that a, a lot of this Brandon Cook success also does have to directly do with Will Fuller. I mean, Will Fuller, everyone – crapped on that D-hop trade, but, man, he has shown up as a receiver one now Yeah, through this portion of the season. The guy's scoring a touchdown every week, and I think that Will Fuller has proven that he's a guy that you have to bracket, you have to shift the zone to him, which I think that at the beginning of the season it was more so, okay, let's make sure that Brandon Cooks has the guy over the top. And now, since Will Fuller has been eating up one-on-ones, eating up targets, just doing really well, I think the defensive coordinators are saying, oh, crap, we may have to put the safety over the top of Fuller so that he doesn't score um, and doesn't take place to the house, which is – it's almost like a double-edged sword. It's like, okay, do we want the, the bracket on Fuller or do we want the bracket on Cooks? And I think recently we've seen the bracket go more towards Fuller than towards Cooks. Yeah. So moving on to our trending downs of the week now, uh, I'll kick it off. And in mine as uh, a big name, uh, top top three consensus tight end, I would say it's Mark Andrews. I've said it on this podcast a whole bunch. The Ravens passing attack just scares the living crap out of me. Uh, Lamar just does not look like an efficient passer this year, and I don't know if he ever will. Um, and, and, and he spreads the ball around a lot and tries to get everyone involved a little bit. And Mark Andrews usually doesn't see more than, you know, two, five targets a game. And it's really whether or not he scores a touchdown. And obviously a lot of tight ends are very touchdown dependent, but that's not what you expected from Mark Andrews, especially after last year where he was just so good. Yeah. The point that you hit that I, I like is the target. He's on pace to be like 20% down on targets that he um... – He's seeing this year touchdowns actually not that far off. He's got five touchdowns on the year. He had 10 last year. We're a little over the midpoint way. He could definitely hit the 10 touchdowns, but
but he's just been seeing a, a lot fewer targets uh, this year, which you mentioned. It's a scary pass attack. He's actually one of my sit-ems this week uh, for the stardom sit-em because he's playing a Patriots defense, which has been very good against the tight end. So I don't see it getting better in the immediate future. But I've been hammering this point home. The playoff schedule for the Ravens, like fantasy-wise, is very nice. <laughs> Some of this could potentially be a buy-now opportunity for Mark Andrews. I'm with you. Uh, kind of you covered everything, but uh, Lamar's passing game hasn't been as great, but uh, I expect that to improve, and his end-of-season schedule is insane. So I, I think that'll – I think his production will go up toward the end of the year also. If real, you're a quick, team. real quick, is the jury out on Lamar Jackson a little bit, though? Because I think that teams have kind of found the way to play the Ravens defensively, where instead of having a linebacker spy him, where – teams would used to try and do that and instead of maybe playing zone where you know the whole th- the whole problem last year was that if you ever had a linebacker try to come up and tackle Lamar Jackson he was juking you out of your shoes now it seems like teams have kind of okay let's just rush four or five keep him in the pocket and if he ever tries to escape one of our defensive linemen will snatch him up instead of truly pass rushing let's just contain like full-on contain and play coverage like is this is this just kind of a funk from the Ravens is the stigma true that people just know what they're running I'm curious as to what you guys think on the whole like is it just sell everyone on the Ravens right now or is like like if you owned Mark Andrews are, are you selling him right now or are you hoping that maybe Roman goes or or they just figure something out um I'm holding. I think this is a firm hold, um, especially with someone like Lamar Jackson. Um, I feel like at this point he's kind of fallen out of – he's now like a fringe top five guy when he was consensus number two at the start of the year. So I don't see him – his rushing floor, I, I feel like, just can't put him much lower than that. So I, I think you just have to hold him. I mean – we talked about before, and Lunas thinks Kyler Murray's QB1. But you got Mahomes. <laughs> Mahomes and Kyler are one and two, probably. Russell Wilson, number three. And then after that, it gets a little murky. I think I want Deshaun over Lamar right now. Josh Allen's got to be in that conversation. Yeah, Josh, Josh Allen. Even Dak has to be in that conversation. Dak, oh, yeah. the, the rookie quarterbacks, they've all looked really good, too. Mm-hmm. So it, it's gone a lot murkier now. Uh, than when he was consensus number two. So I I feel like the game script has kind of screwed the Ravens because their defense has just been scoring so many points. Like, yeah, being a little more conservative. That that was my frustration as a Lamar owner before. It's like they're scoring way too many points too early. And then he just doesn't put up anything in the second half. Like you have Russell, uh, not Russell's and you have Robert Griffin, like just, Hail marrying it from the end zone for no reason, like in the fourth quarter. Like it's just, <laughs> it's just, it's, it was a very, as a, as a Lamar Jackson owner, it would just be very frustrating because he's having such a great game, or he's been, like, it's been a good game at least, and he's on pace to have, like, a great game, but then they just take him out or they shut down the offense because they know they could just run the clock out. So it, it's a frustrating thing to see. All right, last last question because before because I just think the Ravens are super interesting right now. Um, not necessarily need an explanation. 
if you could buy low, if you're going to buy low on any Ravens player, who would it be right now? Hollywood. Hollywood. Yeah. Or for some reason, someone's down on Dobbins, but they shouldn't be. No, well, Dobbins is really a buy low, though. Dobbins wouldn't be a buy low. Anyone on the Ravens offense except for Dobbins. Like, who who are you buying? No, Hollywood. Jake's not buying anyone. Jake's Jake's not buying anyone. (laughs) Jake is firmly staying away from the Ravens. All right, we we can keep going with the trending downs. I just kind of wanted to touch on the Ravens real quick. All right, who's your trending down, Lunas? My trending down is Chris Carson. Now, uh, not that he's been playing bad at all. He's been good when he's played. I just think it's a um, it's a crowded backfield. Like, uh, Carlos Hyde, again, who was a 1,000-odd rusher last year. He's always going to be in the picture. One big thing that's happened recently is uh, DJ Dallas has looked good in the, in the weeks that he's filled in. I know Frank's disagreeing. He's been – I'm talking fantasy. He's put up numbers. <laughs> Frank, Frank is outraged at my DJ Dallas thing. I, I think he's been Lunas, all right. Lunas, I am sorry. Like, your clown makeup is just everywhere today. Okay. Uh, that's, uh, uh, that's not my, that's not my only point with Chris Carson. I'm a Chris Car- uh, I'm a DJ Dallas owner. I was high on him before the draft. I thought, you know, Pete Carroll doesn't put a lot of – uh, like a lot of stock in like how much draft capital is in a guy, whatever, blah, 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 the whole nine yards. And he has put up three touchdowns in the past two weeks, but he's just not looked good. And he's just very average. And I don't think he's done anything to, to win himself a job. If anything, he's kind of just proven that he's just what he was and which was, you know, a fourth round pick running back. That's just like, eh, he's a guy on your team. No, no, the, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's going to win the job at all. No, I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying he could find himself getting even just five touches a game, four or five touches. You combine that with also the next thing I was going to say is Penny just got healthy. Penny, when he has played, has not looked bad. And I expect Carson to still be the majority starter, but most of Carson's value comes from this season. And with him being a free agent after this year, we're – I don't think the Seahawks are going to give him a big contract because they have so many holes on the defensive end. Um, I just don't think he's as valuable as like some people think he was a couple weeks ago. I want to hear DJ DJ Dallas is purely one of those receiving backs that just basically a jag that was a product of opportunity. But I mean, even if he gets some of that receiving work, that takes a hit towards Carson. I just don't think he, well, yeah, I think that Carson, you're right. He could be a trend down. Um, I'm not sure what the future of the Seattle backfield is to be completely honest. I don't think that the Seattle running back for the future is on the roster. I think that now I don't know with Penny, but at the end of the day, the guy's been injured so much. I can't imagine that he has the same burst. Um, I'm just going to assume there. I don't know that for a fact. Like, we're just going to have to see what he does on the field. Um, DJ Dallas, I, I'm, he's just not enough of a pure running back for me. He, he was recruited at, into Miami as a receiver. Um, he can develop. That's the thing that I like about him is that he – he can see he had a lot of room to come in and get better. I just 
think he's mainly a product of opportunity. He's not a guy that I'm looking to buy. I'm not looking to buy any of these Seattle running backs probably unless I can get a really good deal on Carson, but. Yeah, no, but that, that's, that's kind of what I meant by, again, I never expect DJ Dallas to be the full-time starter. I'm saying if he takes some of the receiving work as a small chip, if Penny comes in, gets maybe like five, six, seven carries a game, that's another small chip of Carson. I think a lot of Carson's value is him this year with that Seahawks offense because I just – unless he wants to sign a cheaper deal to come back, I don't I, – I think there's like an, pretty much an extremely low chance that Seattle pays him a big contract. Because they just have so much needs at defensive line, at offensive line. I mean, not, I mean at defense, just in general, the entire defense, um, and at offensive line. I, I don't know how to feel about Carson right now. I don't know. The other thing too is I'm just not sure the Seahawks are a team that you're going to get a ton of value out of the running back being a receiving back. Um, I'm looking at the figures now, 18% of their targets, 51 this year have gone to the running back. It's about middle of the pack. You know, it's not like a team that's the Titans, for example, where they're only targeting their, their running back 11.4% um, of targets. So um, I don't know. The, the Seattle backfield is, is kind of just a mess but you kind of knew that coming in that Carson was eventually going to get banged up. And that's why they went out and picked up a guy like Carlos Hyde. That's why they went out and drafted Penny. Um, I, I don't really know what, what I would do if I own those players. I don't own them in any league. I, you know, the Seattle backfield for me has just been too much of a crap show, but I think that, you know, it's easy to see Chris Carson's easily the most talented back in Seattle. And I think that what he's been able to do there warrants him a new deal. Not, not that he would become like the highest paid running back or he even deserves to be making 13 or 14 mil a year. But at the end of the day, if, if he comes out and says, okay, I want like a Devonte Freeman S contract for when he was with the Falcons. I don't think Seattle can say no, even though they have a bunch of holes to fill on defense. I think he's just a little bit too talented. Maybe they don't like the injury scenario, but I like Chris Carson's talent. He's a damn good back. That's my only disagreement. Like, I, I, don't, know what, I don't know what the exact Freeman contract was, but what it was, nine, 10, nine or ten million per year? Yeah, it was somewhere like eight or nine. Somewhere eight or nine? There. Like, I think even that, I don't know if Seattle gives it. Like, I don't, I don't think he's the thing that kind of, like, has a huge impact on the offense because he's still have Russell Wilson. And they just have – their defense is so bad. I just well, can't see have them the, paying a running back. If you want to go back. into the deep dive of the Seahawks defense, you can go to the 3rd and 20 YouTube channel. we got a 30-minute yes. video dissecting the Seattle Seahawks <laughs> defense. So I was I'm watching not going to go too earlier. far into it here. But I think that Seattle, that's a problem they need to address in the draft. Um they don't have a number one corner um, and their entire defensive line is just mediocre, but I think that. And free agency. Um, yeah. But I, I think that that's a problem that they can fix without having to spend an exorbitant amount of money on a new free agent acquisition. Like I don't think they need to go out and, and try to go in a bidding war for a guy like a clowny or something along the lines of that in free agency to fix their pass rushing holes. 
I mean, I, we've I think seen, that they'll we, be able to fix that. We've um, seen though that they're willing to invest a lot in their defense, especially their secondary. You saw what they gave up for Jamal Adams. Like yeah. I, I think I think they know it's an issue. So that's the only thing I'm saying. That's the only thing I'm saying. I'm not saying that Chris Carson could lose a starting job anytime soon. No, he's not. I'm just saying there might be other backs I mean, that get a could. couple touches. By the end of the season, he could easily be out of that job. Um, like, you're also, right. If they just decide, hey, we can go get a star pass rusher and draft a running back in, in the third or fourth round and, and roll with Penny this, this next year and, like, a combination of Penny Hyde or Penny and um, – Dallas. And Dallas, like you're right, and and that's the one that I don't mean to crap on DJ Dallas too much because at the end of the day, you could get him for nothing, and he could be in a position next year where a he he's a raw guy, he's a raw prospect, so he can improve, and b he could be in a position that the starting running back goes, the running back they fill him in in Seattle could be a third or a fourth round pick, and all of a sudden he's in line in camp to to fight for a starting job. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I was just trying to say. But uh, thank you, Frank. Um, is there another trending down we have? Uh, JT? I, I have two, actually. Oh, we've got um, two. Yeah, can't uh, for one. I know. <laughs> I like I like the little note. Oh, I was about to make it really big because it's a <laughs> it's gonna be my line right here. It's like the Joe Mixon paradox. Now we have two guys. It's not what they've done. It's what they haven't done, and that's. Chase Edmonds and Josh uh, Kelly. And the reason why I'm putting them both on here is they've both had prime opportunities to show what they can in the backfield and really improve their stock on next year and future years. And what we saw from both of them was not very intriguing. Like it didn't, it didn't really shine on me what I wanted to see. What I got from it was, so we'll start with Chase Edmonds, I guess. We'll start with the Arizona Cardinals, Chase Edmonds. Kenyon Drake was hurt. It seems like he's coming back this week, if not next week. Um, Chase Edmonds had 25 carries for 70 yards against the um, Dolphins, which equates to 2.8 yards per carry. And what I kind of get from this is why I think a lot of people have been feeling prior. It's that Chase Edmonds is a very good complimentary back but it's very hard to put him in as your bell cow kind of running back. Similar to someone like a Philip Lindsay or what people probably would have said earlier was Austin Eckler. I think people that had Chase Edmonds would kind of hope he would have turned into an Austin Eckler kind of role, get that big contract and, you know, still produce. I know Eckler has been injured, but I, I just haven't seen that yet. And now speaking of Eckler, moving on to Josh Kelly, Eckler's been out. And when Justin Jackson was hurt, Kelly looked solid. Kelly was having a few good games. He's a rookie running back. Um, He was very productive. But after the first two weeks, he's just been very down. Justin Jackson came back. Now we have the emergence of Kalen Balazs and Troy Main Pope. And it's just, I I had hopes of Josh Kelly after the first couple weeks that the Chargers would still be able to do what they did last year, where they had an Austin Eckler as a running back one, but they also had Melvin Gordon, who was on pace to be a running back one if he didn't hold out. Um, And it's just stuff that I haven't seen from either of them. They haven't convinced me that they could be the the lead back on a team. I'll take it from here if no one wants to say anything. (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Just a quick comment. 
um, before uh, Frank. I'm completely with you on Joshua Kelly. I've kind of lost a lot of faith in him. Like, he showed some potential the first year. Not that he's, like, useless or anything, but I just don't think he's anything special is more so what I mean. And with Chase Edmonds, um, I'm pulling up his stats right now. I'm not going to hold the Miami game against him a ton. Um, but I think if you're hoping that he's like the number one primary back for them next off season, um, that's not going to happen. I think I expect them to possibly like uh, maybe bring or draft or running. Cause I don't think they resound Kenyon Drake. I expect them probably like draft someone to be like a first and second down back. And for Edmonds to kind of be the like receiving back or the um, just kind of like third down guy. And, yeah, I mean, he's shown to be productive in the receiving game, so I still think he holds value there. Uh, but if you're expecting him to be the every down back for them next year, you're going to be disappointed. So I'll start off with Joshua Kelly because this one's just kind of easy for me. I haven't lost hope in Joshua Kelly. I never had hope for Joshua Kelly. <laughs> um, this is a guy that I had a do-not-draft grade on. Um, to me, he was almost like a poor man's DeAndre Swift. Now, with Joshua Kelly, I could see the appeal as a physical back. He had the tools. He had a great combine. He's a big running back. But my whole thing with Joshua Kelly is that he's only going to do as much as his team does for him. Um, he's a guy that struggles to, to break away from contact on the second level from what I saw. Did have a good senior bowl, but it's not like he's anything special in the passing game. I just think that he was one of those guys that was kind of like a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, but his, all of his trades were slightly under average except for his physical tools. Uh, with Chase Edmonds, you know, I, I can see what you guys are saying with the whole you hope and he's an Eckler thing. Um, I think I kind of had two takeaways from this. One, um, I think that Cliff Kingsbury and the Cardinals are another team that run scheme just sucks. Um, it's nowhere near as good as it was last year. I think part of that has to do with the fact that their offensive line is not as talented as I think an average team in the NFL, like offensive line is. And the other thing is that we kind of just knew what Chase Edmonds was all along. He's not a guy that that's competent and comfortable running in between the tackles. Um, he's, he's not someone that, you know, it showed last game that you can just feed carries and he gets better as the game goes on. Um, I also, like, I, at the end of the day, though, I have a lot more faith in Edmonds than I do Kelly, simply just because when I'm, I, I watch back that, that Cardinals-Dolphins game, and it just seemed like they, they were trying to use Edmonds as if he was a player he wasn't. They were just saying, okay, you're Kenyon Drake now. And even Kenyon Drake in the role that he's been asked to play this season has not been good. He's been having a bad yards per carry. You know, the entire Cardinals run game has been kind of one of the been, been like the bigger disappointment for that team that has, has had a lot of, you know, really good flashes. They're a team that's looking to try and make the playoffs this year. I think everything has gone right for them except for the running attack, whether it's Kenyon Drake or Chase Edmonds. But, um, you know, I, I think it's a little bit of both of we kind of knew what he was all along, plus the fact that I think that Cliff Kingsbury needs a little bit of a better scheme for Chase Edmonds, especially when someone like Kenyon Drake isn't playing.
What the hell? JT, have you turned into a fish? <laughs> it's the classic. It sounded like you literally just dove underwater. It's the classic two-hour mark where my microphone goes, and uh, now you'll be hearing me like I'm in a shoebox for the rest of the episode. Still better than the thing before. Yeah, sorry, sorry for the technical error. <laughs> All right, let's get into the receiver rankings though, because this is running a little bit long. Long. Um. Okay. Let's see it. How, how do we want to do this? All right, I have an idea. So, for the most part, I think we should do it like this. We have a general consensus of the top five where we have all four of us ranked our top 15 wide receivers. And all four of us had DeAndre Hopkins, Tyree Kill, DK Metcalf. Um, I think that's – yeah, wait. And Devontae Adams. We all had those four – in our top five, it was DeAndre Hopkins, Tyree Kill, DK Metcalf, Devontae Adams. They're all consensus top five wide receivers for us. So from there, we could kind of move on into our other guys. Now, we differed in some of us had DeAndre Hopkins as our number one, while others had Tyree Kill or Devontae Adams. But consensus, we had them in the top five. The difference starts – um, from six on, well, I guess who we have in our top five, the, the fifth one. So let's start with there. Outside of those four, who's your fifth wide receiver? Who are the four again? Uh, Hopkins, Metcalf, Hill, and Hop. It's your, it's your top four, Frank. Okay. Yeah. Same with my top four. Yeah. So, I mean, my fifth guy, um, I think a lot of you agree just looking at your lists. Um, AJ Brown is a guy that I, I think is, is right there. Um, he's put up, I know he missed some time with injury this year, but he's looked great with Ryan Tannehill and he's super young. I, I just don't see his value going down that long, that far. If at all, I can only see him really going up with the decline of maybe a Hopkins who's 28 already or a Tyreek Hill, maybe just because he's just one of these speed guys. And if he loses a step, you never know. Um, but, uh, A.J. Brown is just – seems to be legit. Every, you know, he kind of came on the scene late last season and just burst out, broke out, and just hasn't looked back since. Yeah. So, I'm on the same side as you, Jake. And I guess we're going to – this will be what we debate with um, Frank and Lunas because I actually have A.J. Brown as my wide receiver four over Devontae Adams, basically for the same reason you had. Um, Lunas and Frank, where do you guys have A.J. Brown? So I've got A.J. Brown at wide receiver seven. And it's not so much anything that A.J. Brown did wrong because I agree with him. He's a stud. He's like a he's a very top wide receiver. He's insanely young. Uh, offense likes featuring him a lot, and he's looked great. So it's not so much me being anti-A.J. Brown as much as it is I like the other two I have ahead of him. So as I mentioned, the J.T., the four J.T. mentioned earlier, I have those four in my top four. And then fifth, so my thing is I, I just mostly have C.D. Lamb and Michael Thomas ahead of him at five and six. C.D. Lamb, uh, just being that young, he's my wide receiver one coming into the draft. Some people like Judy Moore. I prefer C.D. Um, being paired with Dak, who knows where Gallup is going to be at the end of next season. 
Who knows? I don't think they're going to keep Amari Cooper on that contract after, I think, after next season or after two years. And I assume they're, I'm assuming they're going to pay Dak. So just having that number one receiver paired to Dak, who's like a very kind of like always gets a ton of yards, always puts up points. Uh, I personally have CD a little bit ahead of him. And then Michael Thomas, before the season, if we asked who was the number one dynasty wide receiver, everyone would have said Michael Thomas. Um, well, I'd say most people, not everyone. Um, and while he's had a rough year, a lot of it has been him being injured. I know there's question marks about Drew Brees, but we saw him produce with Teddy Bridgewater. Um, the production didn't go down at all. So it's hard for me to put him that much lower than six. So, again, it's not so much that I'm against A.J. Brown because he's been a stud. It's just I like deals of the two guys a ton. Yeah, my five is Michael Thomas, basically for what Lunas just said. I'm not going to let one year for Slant Boy not really playing because of injury (laughs) and and some off-the-field issues knock him too much. I am a little bit scared, though, the fact that he's gotten a lot crazier, it seems like, recently. I know this might be a little bit of the A-B thing coming back, um, the A-B paradox where – any receiver that is starting to go, you know, talk some smack to anyone, maybe you start freaking out a little bit. Um, I just, he's just too talented for me to not have him there. I have a, on the topic AJ Brown though. He's tough for me just because I have AJ Brown cemented right under Ridley in that like Justin Jefferson, CD Lamb, Scary Terry Bucket. I think that all four of those guys are very similarly rated for me. Like, there's really not a whole lot that separates them. Like, in, in terms of value, I think that, you know, generally speaking, anyone from like this six to 10 kind of range will be very similar on all of our lists. And also in terms of, like, what you would have to give up. I don't really think there's a clear tier break from, like, the 6 to 10 kind of range. That's fair. They are all kind of in, like, a similar range for me also. Um, I'm a little bit surprised, though, that you had a, that you had Ridley ahead of him. As, as good as Ridley has been this year. You know, the thing about Ridley – I mean, we're talking about receivers. Ridley is just such a talented, pure receiver. His routes are really, really good. Like, not only are his feet quick, his routes are precise. Like, you see his routes, and they're a lot of them are just textbook. Like, they're the type of tape that you would show to a player on how to run the route. That's how good they are. A.J. Brown, I think that he makes more of his money being really physical and just taking plays like, you know, whether it, whether it's having strong hands at, at a high point or the point of attack for the football, or whether it's taking like one of those play action digs for extra yards. I don't think his hands are as good as Ridley. I don't think his routes are as good as Ridley. I think the really only thing he has over Ridley is his physicality. That's fair. Are you, are you worried about Ridley's future with Matt Ryan potentially leaving? No, not really. It's So, JT, I'm glad you brought up the quarterback situation of a lot of these wide receivers. And this is one of the reasons that held me back from ranking Michael Thomas even higher. I have Michael Thomas ranked at six right behind A.J. Brown for me. Um, but the reason he's not higher is it's 
pretty much certain, or if not certain, highly likely that, that Drew Brees is going to retire after this year. Now, whether or not they hand the job to Jameis is very or unclear, or if they go with Taysom Hill, or, or <laughs> what they are doing at quarterback in, in New Orleans is just no idea what's going on. And yes, Michael Thomas is one of these wide receivers that, that is very talented, so his quarterback situation may not matter. However, we have only seen him play with Drew Brees, a Hall of Fame-level quarterback, and I'm not 100% sure of what will happen if he's not playing with that. You know, I, I, I just kind of want to quickly chime in here because, you know, the first thing that someone's going to think of is, oh, well, he had success with Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah, but I, I don't like that argument a ton just because Teddy Bridgewater, A, was a first-round pick. Granted, not one of those early first-round, but a first-round pick. And B, he was one of those first-round picks like Deshaun Watson where not – like he panned out. You know, if you were to redraft Teddy Bridgewater like a year or two after he was drafted before, you know, that the whole injury thing and whatnot, like, dude, he would have been one of the top draft picks in that draft class, I would guess. Like, so I don't think the whole, oh, well, he had success with Teddy Bridgewater is really that valid of an argument because Teddy Bridgewater's kind of proven that He's he can play in the NFL. He he you know he's doing some great things for the Panthers right now. He's fighting for a possible starting job for that team in the future. Like I don't think that that's necessarily a fair argument. I think that if you're a Michael Thomas owner, you're probably just rooting for Jameis to get the helm so you start getting, <laughs> you know, you can get like that whole Tampa Bay Buccaneers situation where you know it's just five tutties a game. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I miss the Jameis days a ton. I was a Chris Godwin owner especially. But, yeah, generally the next couple of players we all have, Ridley, Thomas, C.D. Lamb, and, and Justin Jefferson around this, like, 6 to 10 mark. And um, McLaurin. And yeah, Mc- and McLaurin. Sorry, and McLaurin. Jake has Justin Jefferson at 11. Um, JT has Jefferson at 8. Lunas has Jefferson at 11, and I have Jefferson at 7. Um, do you guys all have Lamb higher than Jefferson? I'm curious. Yeah, you guys all do. Um, yeah. So I just kind of want to touch on that topic a little bit because I think, you know, I think the consensus is that Lamb is higher than Jefferson. I think I've seen enough from Jefferson to put him slightly higher than Lamb. Uh, I think it's still really close. Um, I'm just wondering for you guys too, though, how close is – because you guys all have, at least for the most part, A.J. Brown higher than both of them. I know, Lunas, you have C.D. Lamb higher than A.J. Brown. I'm just curious on the gap between C.D. Lamb, A.J. Brown, and Justin Jefferson in your guys' guys' eyes. So none of them are a big gap for me. I think C.D. Lamb and A.J. Brown are extremely similar, and then – Jefferson is just a little bit below that. Like, we talk about quarterback situations. I have no idea what Minnesota's is going to be two years from now. Um, I have no idea if they're going to stick with Kirk. I know they're a run-first offense now. We've seen they're most successful when they give Dalvin Cook 20-plus carries. Uh, preferably, honestly, 25-plus carries. Um, and I don't know. I just – I like the prospect of uh, C.D. Lamb's future – more than him. Like, it's just being paired with Dak. Like, again, I'm assuming Dak is going to get signed long-term. 
I think he's going to end up becoming Dak's number one in a year or two. And then at that point, he he's just going to be putting up insane production. Um, not that Jefferson won't. I just I think I would lean CD Lamb by a little bit. And um, I know I know he's been playing surpri- like better than what people thought he would. I mean Jefferson was playing better than people thought he would. But I know pre-draft I had had CD way ahead of him. Jefferson has closed the gap, but it's just hard for me not to rank CD ahead of him because of their situations also. And with J.J. Brown, you can make more of a case. I just think, I don't know, pretty much like the Titans offense is pretty much Derrick Henry than A.J. Brown with a little bit of John U. Smith. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. I don't think Tannehill's going anywhere. I don't think Vabral's going anywhere. So, And he's insanely young still. So that, that's the only logic. And again, I still have Jefferson as a wide receiver one in Dynasty, but I just like those two guys a ton. All right, let's let's move on to the back end a little bit. Um, this is where things get interesting. Yeah. You know, I'm curious as to – JT, I wanted to ask you, because um, I believe you have – oh, no, it's Lunas that has God, – God, you have Lunas – you have Godwin. Lunas has Godwin. Jesus Christ. Lunas has Godwin at eight. JT has Godwin at 11. I don't even have Godwin on my top 15. Yeah, that's crazy. I have him at 13. I have him at the very back end of my top 15. Yeah, I'm in the Godwin is one of those guys I just hate when I'm seeing out of him this year. It's just every time I watch the Buccaneers, I feel like he's the guy I'm always pissed off at. I'm just curious as to what you guys really like about Godwin, especially Lunas and JT. Um, I mean, to start with Godwin, you got to still realize how young he is. He's only 24 years old this season, which is one of the young receivers on the list. He had 1,300 receiving guards last year. And this year in the games he's played uh, fantasy-wise, I know, Jake, I know you're going to say Jameis played a big factor. Um, obviously, you don't expect like that insane production – uh, at like that age, but he's not, he's still a couple years away from his prime. I'd say the prime, maybe like 27 years old. Um, and right now, I just think he hasn't been as productive this year. One, because he's been injured for a couple games. Two, that's a really crowded receiving field, and he's a free agent this offseason. I don't know if the Bucks resign him. I don't know if the Bucks resign him, but then don't resign AB. So I, I, it's just hard for me to say no to that. Like it's, and I get, People may be scared it's another Juju. Um, but that that's kind of more so how I view Ridley more so than um, Godwin. Because Godwin in games that Mike Evans has been out has actually played better. Uh, so it's just hard. Like, you can't, you can't ignore what he did last season at age 23. I know Jameis was there, but still, like, those numbers are phenomenal. And then this year, like, when he's been healthy, he hasn't been bad. Like, I know it's a down, more down season because he's been hurt, but. When he's been playing, he's been pretty good. And probably when, when he's fully healthy, he's outproduced Mike Evans. Uh, so that, that's my main thing with him. And he's a free agent after this year. So a team can sign him to be their number one. So And he's still only 24, like I said. So that, that's why I have him kind of up there. Okay. So I have him in my, the back end of my top 15, like we were saying. And the, the reason I have him there is, one, like Luna said, his age, and two – his what he's shown he can be it, he's there for more along the lines of what his potential is and yes he's 24 and 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 he's already had you know 1300 yards and however many touchdowns he had last year but 
the big thing for him is where he ends up. If yeah. he ends up still in Tampa Bay, I don't. I think he drops. I really do because this is just a crowded backfield with a, a forty going to be forty four year old quarterback, and, and and you don't know what's going to happen after that. So it's just this, it's if he ends up in a good location for himself, you know. Imagine he goes and signs in Green Bay. Imagine that. Like then he would go up the list, obviously, and I think we'd all have him in our top ten, not let alone top fifteen. So. It, it just – he's in there for the potential, in my opinion. I don't like what I've seen out of him. I agree with Frank. But I think he's just too talented and just shown too much in the NFL already that he can't not be there. Yeah, I, I think you guys covered my sentiments pretty well. I, I don't think I really have anything to add on to that. Yeah, so I think we should just wrap up real quick, and I think we should – I'll just run through our receivers 10 through 15 because that's where really we start to differ a little bit. So, yeah. uh, Lunas, who you got at 10 through 15? So, my number 10 is Calvin Ridley. I have him a little bit lower, but, again, I'm scared of that juju effect. I don't know what's going to be the Falcons' future, et cetera. 11, I have Jefferson for reasons I explained earlier. 12, I have Kenny Galladay. He's been injured this year, but when he's healthy, he's produced, and he makes insane catches every week. Then I have Stephon Diggs. At 13, he's been amazing with Josh Allen, getting a ton of targets. 14, I have Mike Evans. He's had a bit of a down year, but it's still Mike Evans. Like he's, he's not old. He's not aging. He's still insanely talented, and he's not injury prone. 15, this is kind of a wild card pick. Like I guess I kind of wanted to go away from the consensus. I would chase Claypool there. I know you can obviously make the case for DJ Moore, make the case for Allen Robinson, make the case for a ton of players. Cooper Cup, um, I just had to do a chase Claypool. I could see Juju leaving this year in free agency. Deontay Johnson is very talented, but I don't know if he can fully stay healthy. I've just been insanely impressed by Claypool. Like, he has pretty decent draft capital. He's been playing great this year when he's been finally given the opportunity more. And that's why I put him there. I'm putting him there, I'm putting him there for his long-term potential. And, Frank, I kind of wanted to hear your thoughts on it because I know you're a Steelers fan, and you probably know better than I do. Um, yeah, just real quick as a side note, like, man, like this, this basically once you get around to like that 13, 14 spot in, in this, when you're ranking out your receivers, the gap is a bunch of guys in that really team. close between everyone, because there are a whole lot of guys that we all wanted to have on our list that just didn't really fit. You know, I think Alan Robinson is a guy that we would all agree on that we would want on our list somewhere, but sometimes you just kind of run out of spots. And, and yeah. same thing with Julio Jones. Now, in terms of Claypool, I, I think every single Steelers fan sees the talent. Um, th this kid, and, and, you know, a lot of people thought that Deontay Johnson was going to be that guy. You know, a couple years ago, they thought that maybe, um, you know, Juju or even James Washington could be that guy. Claypool has been the one receiver that has shown that stud, like potential, that stud factor about him, where you know he he's a do it all receiver. You know, I, I think that since Antonio Brown, he's probably the the best potentially looking do it all receiver that that we've had in in a long time. So, I completely see why you would put him at fifteen. Um, I think it's tough, though, just because he's a guy that you know you're going to get inconsistent production out of right now, you know, especially when you're comparing him to his rookie counterparts like C.D. Lamb or Justin Jefferson.
But at the same time, I think everyone sees that he has the potential of someone like a Justin Jefferson or, or even a CD Lamb. Maybe not as much potential, but you know, everyone can agree that Claypool has that top ten ability. You know, you know, the situation just has to line up a little bit. The Pittsburgh isn't the best passing offense to be in right now. And, you know, the the uncertainty of the future quarterback situation can also play in a part. But I agree that it's not it's not invalid or anything to have him as a top 15 guy. I just think that it would be tough for me, and I didn't, just because of this year he's not going to be consistent enough. Yeah, Frank, to that point, how about you give us your 10 through 15 here? All right, so at 10, I had Scary Terry. I think that sucks to have him at 10. It's just, you know, I have him literally isn't in the same bucket as Justin Jefferson. Um, 11, I have Diggs. Diggs at 11, man, it, it, it's weird to say aloud. I just think that he's so you talented. Actually have, you actually have Diggs at 12. You skipped over Keenan oh, Allen. Wait, no, yeah, all right, I have Keenan at 11, Diggs at 12. These are two guys that I value very like, – it's almost tough trying to value the potential versus what you're getting right now because Keenan Allen and Diggs, you're going to get crazy production right now, and you're going to probably get crazy production for the next two or three seasons. The, even more production from someone like some of these rookies that we have above them. But because of the fact that they don't have that 10-year possible potential, it's tough to put them over some of these really young studs. Then I have Mike Evans at 13. Mike Evans, always criminally undervalued. Kenny G, Kenny Galladay at 14. And then Julio Jones, the main man at 15. The only one with Julio in the top 15. I debated it, but he's just – it's hard to put a 31-year-old wide receiver in there. It's really hard. You know that. Yeah, and that's – see, that's the problem I had with a lot of these picks was trying to value a player's potential – versus a play like the the win now because even you know when you're just talking about value you can say oh well why don't you just make this chart based on value it it depends on what your team makeup is because if you're a rebuilding team Julio is not worth a lot to you but if you're a contending team he's worth a whole lot or Stefan Diggs instantly is like a top 10 receiver like especially someone like Stefan Diggs or Keenan Allen to a contending team you can make a clear argument, okay, he's worth just as much as someone like a C.D. Lamb or an A.J. Brown, you know? To, to my team, the fact that I, can, I know I'm going to get production, I know I'm going to get it for the next two or three years at, at a top 10 receiver level, and he's going to produce for me in the playoffs, you know? It's, it's, without that context, it's really hard to just make this, this list, especially when you're trying to differentiate one, one spot from another. Yeah, I think that's a really great point because that's that's something that we've preached on this podcast a whole lot is every trade has to fit your team. You have to know where you stand in the league. I love that, dude. I love that. Yeah, you have to know where you stand in the league and how it makes sense to you. Because like you said, to a, like you said, to a, a rebuilding team, Julio holds almost no value. He's a 31-year-old wide receiver, and you're not winning anyway. So what's the point of having a guy like that? There is none. But to a, cont- a contending team, Julio Jones is probably a top five wide receiver for this season just, just by itself. In a redraft league, Julio was drafted as a top five wide receiver, and he probably will be next year as well. So 
to that point, a contender could value him very highly still, but a rebuilding team could not. So it, it's just a really tough to create these dynasty rankings just for that difference alone. Yeah, one last thing I want to say about Julio, too, that I think that some people are kind of forgetting because he seems to be falling off a cliff a little bit in terms of his value. The one thing about Julio Jones that you don't really get out of a whole lot of other receivers is that he will play really well against good corners. There, there isn't a guy or a matchup generally where it's like, oh, well, I, I have to sit Julio this week. He's going to get shut down. Like, that's not in the Julio Jones question. Julio Jones, when, when healthy, is truly a plug-and-play receiver, kind of like DK is right now, where you don't care about the matchup. You just play him no matter what. Julio, like, is a living embodiment of he doesn't care about the matchup. He doesn't care who's across from him. Yeah. Um, all right. If you guys don't mind, I'll just give my last top five and then I'll go into our consensus rankings and, and there's a few interesting things there. But uh, my top five, uh, sorry, last five, so 10 through 15. Um, I have Terry McLaurin at 10. He's been covered really well. Chris Godwin, we talked about him uh, at 11. Stefan Diggs at 12. Um, I guess I'm a little lower on, than him than others. Uh, I don't know. It's just hard for me to fall in love with Stefan Diggs. Keenan Allen, 13. I, I like Keenan Allen a lot, um, especially tied with Justin Herbert. His age is a factor. That's kind of why I have him at 13. Otherwise, I would have boosted him up even more. Um, Kenny Galladay, about to be a free agent, right? Or is he is he restricted free agent? No, nah, he's going to – he's an unrestricted free agent. He's going to sign a massive contract with somebody. Yeah. Yeah, and he's a really good underrated receiver. Um, and finally, this is the one that's different than everyone else. As someone that was very high at the beginning of the year, that's DJ Moore. Um, obviously, his values dropped off a lot, but I don't think it's enough to knock him out of the top 15 conversation. He's only 23 years old. He's already had um, a big wide receiver two, a high-end wide receiver two year uh his previous year with only four touchdowns as well. Um, and even in his down year, he, you know, people have been saying like, Oh, what's wrong with DJ Moore? He's playing really poorly. He's wide receiver 20 um, on the year, half PPR wise. So I don't know, just the, the production that you're going to get from DJ Moore. I feel like you always know that he's probably going to be at least a wide receiver too. He might be fringe wide receiver one. And that's really where I have him at 15. Just the amount of years in production that you're probably going to get from DJ Moore, that's why I have him at 15. But if there's nothing that you guys want to add to that, I wanted to just jump into consensus real quick. Hold on, Where... hold on. I haven't, I haven't run through my top 10. Oh, I'll sorry. do it real quick because um, we hit on most of the guys. I have Diggs at 10. I have Justin Jefferson at 11. I have Kenny Galladay at 12. Chris Godwin at 13. And this is where I differ from everyone. I have Allen Robinson at 14. No one else had him on their list. Um, he's just a guy that's just super stable. Always know what you're going to get. And he's always quietly finishes in the top 12 wide receivers every single year, even with Trubisky and Foles and, and, and Blake Bortles dating back to his, his uh, Jacksonville days. So he, he's just a, a consistent player, and I really like him. And I think he's only 27, so you got at least three more good years out of Allen Robinson. And then at 15, I have another guy that no one had on the list, and that's Jerry Judy. Um, 
I thought he was my number one receiver heading into the draft, uh, rookie draft this year. I just thought his, his film was unbelievable. He runs routes like I've never seen before. And, you know, he's in a situation that's not great, but, you know, give him time to develop, maybe Drew Locke a little time to develop. And I think he'll be right there with the other rookie receivers like Justin Jefferson and CeeDee Lamb that we've ranked above him in this. Yeah, all right. Um, so I guess we'll wrap up here with consensus. We'll save our viewer questions for next week because we are running pretty long. Um, so what I found interesting was I took all of our players and I signed the points, 15 for if you ranked them number one, one for if you ranked them at the bottom. I told that together for all of us, did the averages. And what I found was the top three wide receivers, DeAndre Hopkins, Tyreek Hill, and DK Metcalf, came out to the same number. So essentially, we have them as a toss-up one through three, who we have, Hopkins, Hill, Metcalf. Um, after that, solidly in fourth was Devontae Adams. So we have Hopkins, Hill, Metcalf, one, two, three, pick them. Devontae Adams, four. Michael Thomas, five. A.J. Brown, six. C.D. Lamb, seven. Calvin Ridley, eight. Justin Jefferson, nine. Terry McLaurin, 10. Stephon Diggs, 11. Chris Godwin, 12, Kenny Galladay, 13, Keenan Allen, 14, and Mike Evans, 15. So we have two, two rookie wide receivers in our top 15. We have um, two more second-year wide receivers in our top 15. Uh, so looks like there's a lot of young – actually, sorry, three more uh, second-year wide receivers in our top 15. So it looks like we have a lot of – young production that's coming through five of our top 15 are in either a rookie year or their second year, which as I've said before, it kind of breaks the mold of that three year breakout that we've been waiting for wide receivers to have. Wide receivers are breaking out a lot earlier. Um, and it's just, it's less and less likely that your wide receiver is going to break out in his third year and become a huge success. You're looking for a first or second year breakout. And I think that's probably my biggest takeaway. I don't know if you guys have any other big takeaways from this. Yeah, um, I think we see in the NFL, um, it is kind of shifting to more almost like kind of college style offenses with a lot more spread offenses and everything. So we see rookies doing this well. The thing I'm surprised about is how many rookies are doing this well with like a COVID offseason. You know what I mean? Like there mm -hmm. weren't OTAs, shortened training camp, pretty much like a ton of things virtual. Um, so I expect a lot of these guys to take an even bigger jump next year. And we have a pretty loaded wide receiver class coming up this wide, uh, this rookie class. So I, I think that aspect's interesting. And we still have guys like Judy to see, which I think all, all of us believe in his talent. Um, a guy we didn't mention who deserves some consideration for the back end of that is T Higgins has looked great. Um, and he's paired. Huh? I almost had him in there. Yeah, like I, I considered him. Like I think he's in the consideration because he's paired. You're, he's paired with Burrow, and he's going to be a top two receiver in that offense. And they've been clicking like crazy recently. The disrespect um, for Tyler Boyd, man. I'm a Tyler Boyd believer. I said top two. Let's 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 relax. Even though I do think he'll overtake Tyler Boyd, but that's a different discussion. <laughs> And I'm saying this to someone I did. I wasn't like a huge, I mean, obviously I think he was worth an early second, but I wasn't crazy about like T Higgins coming into the league. I thought it would take him some time, 
but he's that that's why I'm so high on him because he's just completely proven me wrong. He's impressed me uh, a ton. So I think he considers consideration. And obviously, like I said, um, we have a ton of good uh, rookies coming in next year, wide receiver. So it's going to be interesting to see how this list looks next year because I think it's going to be really different. I think you're going to see new guys come in, guys leave, and free agency is going to be huge this year for guys like, as you mentioned, Allen Robinson, Chris Godwin, Kenny Galladay to see where those landing spots end up. Yeah, real quick, I think my main takeaways is, one, that consensus receiver rankings is sexy. I really like that. I think I like that list more than mine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> number two, I think is um, – I agree with you, Lunas, in that that whole three-year to develop receiver, I think that was more of a, a stigma of, you know, some previous receiver classes because – there was kind of a lull in the talent of receivers coming into the league, um, both in terms of what their production was, you know, the amount of busts in the first round, and just in my opinion from my draft analysis, just, you know, this class last year, I had more receivers ranked highly fantasy-wise than you know, some, like, the past two classes combined, arguably. Like, there were so many guys that I liked in this class. It was just so deep. So, I, I agree with you guys in that that whole three-year it takes to develop receiver myth, I think, is, is a little bit bogus. Um, the other thing, too, that I, I don't think I realized as much is, man, these, these rankings, whether you're going up or down, is a lot more tied to situation than I previously thought. Um, you can clearly see the top four guys all have top quarterbacks with them. And, you know, a lot of the guys under them, they're there because of their quarterbacks, you know, except for pretty much just Justin Jefferson and Terry McLaurin. Um, all the guys on this list have top half of the league quarterbacks. So that was just something that I found a little bit interesting was that I'm usually a guy that's saying, oh, well, talent over situation especially for receivers but you know maybe I'm wrong because it seems like all the guys going up were the guys with great quarterbacks coming to the season and maybe that's something that I'm going to be looking at a little bit more and take more into account is what's what's your quarterback situation like what's your passing offense situation like instead of just purely talent yeah I mean I'm still I, I still think there holds a lot of value to um talent over situation because I think that alone is why AJ Brown fell in drafts two years ago um people didn't believe in the Titans passing attack so I would say with talent over situation bad situations can fix like quickly can change really quickly in a year or two like you look you look at just the next two the last two years and then say we're like a number one receiver on that offense probably isn't that valuable say next year they have a great offensive coach in Trevor Lawrence like yeah should change as fast. And Denzel Mims becomes a top 10 receiver. Yeah. Buy Denzel Mims for a second while you can. Yeah, exactly. So that, that, that's, the, that's the only thing um, I'll say about it because I still think talent over situation holds a ton of merit. Um, next thing I'll say is you guys are lucky that I didn't put Travis Wilgham in there because it's deserved. <laughs> um, just look at the PFF grades. No Eagles receivers on this list, Linus. Hey, hey. If uh, Fulgham break out another ten more, and there still won't be an Eagles receiver. Oh, Fulgham's <laughs> up next. Fulgham's sixteen. 
How many? How it. many do you think we'd have to go down before we we find an Eagles receiver? We put Rager or Fulgham on the list. Well, Mike, it would depend on if you have Rager or Fulgham higher, because I think that could be debate. I think it should be Rager. It should be Rager. You can't seriously be saying Fulgham's higher than Rager. I'm saying it should be Rager. But I'm saying Tyler is over Mahomes. (laughs) I'm saying it's you're a clown. I just said it should be Rager. Yeah, I think I think we need to stop it before Lunas just ruins his character. Even I said it should be y'all hating. (laughs) Tyler's going to finish with a better fantasy season, and I'm going to brag it to all of you. Clown mm-hmm. question, bro. <laughs> is, this, is this how we're signing off? on that Yeah, we're signing off on a clown question. So, good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>